All right. What episode is this? This is episode six of Pals with Bill Wadman. And uh, across from me is Dr. Ali Matu. Are we recording? Is this now? Yeah, we're going to record. Nice. Let's do it. I'd like jumping right in like that. It's like Nerdist, although we don't really talk about Chris Hardwick anymore. <laughs> hey, he got his job back. He did? Yeah. Last night, AMC announced that they've done an investigation and they're satisfied that they gave him his job back on The Talking Dead and the late night thing. Okay. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, details, I, I'm just but... I'm just going by uh, what I read this uh, last night. Yeah, um, it's uh, yeah. Conrad has interesting thoughts about that. You should, people should yeah. listen to Reanimated. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the uh, okay. The reason I, I I the reason I brought you here. Today yes, <laughs> is because you and I have been friends for a long time. Long and, time now. And uh, I thought that you. The reason I'm doing this show is that I live in New York City. Because I want to be around people who are at the top of their game. Mm. And so I have a lot of friends who are really amazing at what they do. Mm-hmm. And I thought it'd be fun to sit down and talk to them about what they do and a little bit of how they got there and whatnot. Um, and have it be an hour, 90 minutes or whatever it is mm-hmm. where it's not three minutes and it's not, you know, right. it's the kind of conversation you and I would have after dinner, except we have <laughs> microphones. Right. Right. <laughs> um, Ali, you're you're a psychologist. That is correct. And you are uh, uh, what's what's your specialty? What uh, I specialize in anxiety, in body focused repetitive behavior, stuff like skin picking, nail biting, um, hair pulling, and then also uh, ticks and Tourette's. That family of stuff. That's what I do. You know, it's interesting because I have a tick, mm-hmm. and I've recently been reading about. There's a woman at either Sinai or NYU. Mm-hmm who basically does a behavioral modification. Is that, is that the way people deal with that now? Is like, you know, the, the, the way she explained it in a video I saw, if you're someone who ends up having an urge to say, tick your head to the right, yeah. when you feel that coming, if you force your head, say to the left or do something else, that your body can't do two things at once and you can kind of rebuild pathways. It's kind of the gist of it. So the way, um, the way I like to explain it is, when you experience ticks, these are rogue signals that are escaping from your brain that really shouldn't be out there. Um, so what what happens is a, this happens to everyone, but for most people, those signals get blocked; they never get out of there. But people who experience ticks and Tourette's, uh, those signals get out. So what we have to do. Um, I, I think about it. Um, you know, in uh, Lord of the Rings, the two towers. Sure, there's uh, the. Uh, uh, attack on uh what is it the that big thing at the end of the movie uh, yeah, helm yeah, steep yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. helm steep right and so uh there's an orc who is running with some kind of explosive and he finds this little gap this yep, yep. little hole and he gets in there in and there, then yeah. boom, boom the whole like thing comes down right right so that little gap in there that's what's happening with ticks is there's these little signals that should be blocked and they're not and they kind of get out and they cause these problems and in some people they're more dangerous than others well some people i don't i mean kind of depends on how we define dangerous okay yeah, so, yeah 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 like not dangerous in the sense that it's life threatening, but it could cause muscle problems or injuries or make yeah. it hard for you to be in places yeah, or, Absolutely. Or, or socially you know sure you know uh, there are times when I'm embarrassed by mine, but not to the point that it's 
I don't have Tourette's. I'm not screaming obscenities in the middle of a restaurant. And, yeah, yeah, and, 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 and that's a very rare form uh, understood. of, yeah, of yeah, Tourette's. Yeah. But um, Tourette's in general, you have either a verbal or you have a verbal tick and a motor tick. So your problems with um, saying things that you don't want to say or making sounds that you don't want to say, that's usually what it is. Yeah. And then also something you feel like you have to do with your body. But anyways, what we do with that whole treatment, it's about getting very intimately aware of all those warning signs, those early signs that that orc is coming, yeah. all the the sensations, the thoughts, um, what it feels like in the moments leading up to that urge to tick, and then learning what type of, um, what we call a competing response, what kind of behavior right. will make it either impossible for you to tick or very hard to. Right. And usually we look at similar muscle groups or competing muscle groups. So the easy example is if your tics to stretch out your hand, we're going to use the opposite muscles to push in against your chest, hold that for a minute or until that um, urge to tick disappears. Um, you, you've talked about eye blinking. Sure. Eye blinking tick a lot, you and me. Uh, the basic thing there are controlled blinks are, are the competing responses. Think about your blinking. Yeah, so it's... Um, it can actually... That can actually change how does it actually affect it once you do that long enough yeah you can rewire things so yeah, you're not, you so your urge to tick is lessened yeah you you are able to strengthen up that defense against those orcs so you're it able can come to out, fortify a bit right so it comes mm-hmm. out if you're emotionally distressed or something maybe it breaks through the same way that people yeah. who stutter maybe can control it and then in a heightened situation totally it can come out similar kind yeah. of thing i mean and that's the other half of treating ticks and tourettes is learning how to better deal with your emotions yeah. how to deal with stress um change your environment so it's it's a bit more of a calming mentally healthy place things yeah. like that the yeah. hair pulling is a, is yeah. a similar Mental mechanism, or is that a, 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 uh, it's a related good question? So we know that it's it has some features of tics and Tourette's. It has some features of OCD. It has some features of ADHD. Uh, I think in about ten years we're going to look back at hair pulling and skin picking and see them as a as a family of related problems. Yeah. Um, but right now, uh, what we do with that is we try to help people learn better ways to manage their emotions because like ticks and Tourette's, it's made worse with anxiety, stress, sometimes excitement, sometimes boredom. Yeah, All those things play a role. We also help people to learn how to do something different with their hands. For yeah. some people, what I described to you earlier, which is called habit reversal, for some people that can work with hair pulling and skin picking. For some people, it doesn't because it's far more intentional. Uh, you come home, you had a bad day, you want to go to your mirror and you want to pull all yeah. those grays out. Right. That it, it's very soothing to do that. It's There's so many things in psychology that the way you just describe somebody, say, coming home, had a long day, mm-hmm. that that if you don't have whatever that is, yeah. you, th- you look at it and you think, why would you find that soothing? You know, right, you right, know right. How, how could that be something that you want to do? I don't understand yeah. how that would be something you would do. Yeah. You know, it's it's it, is it hard to sometimes to sympathize with the urges or is that something that you learn? In school? You know, how did you end up in, in that area of psychology? Um, well, I'll, I'm going to go backwards a little bit. In sure. Your question. So um, a, a big part of my 
a big part of what I try to do is is to help people to understand these kind of things, um, especially family, friends, loved ones who don't understand it. So a tick is really easy to explain to someone. And what I do is I, I tell them, um, I want you to practice not blinking. We're going to play a game. Let's not blink. And then if you try that, if listeners try that right, right. now, um, you I'm going to be doing it right now. I feel my eyes are already starting to dry up. Yeah, I, it's only yeah. been a few. They're water. I think I already blinked, yeah, right? You I had this urge to do it, yeah. and then I felt like I had to. That's yeah. a tick yeah, right yeah. there. That's what ticks feel like. And the thing with hair pulling and skin picking is it's all in a continuum. We all do it to some degree. Um, if my beard gets, I have a very slight beard, but if it gets to a certain length, I'll start kind of grabbing it sure. and playing with it. And then sometimes I might even pull it. Yeah. And it's just, it's a normal thing that most of us do. Yeah. And some of us, it's very normal to pull certain hairs out Um once I reached 30, I entered the club of guys who have to like groom their ears, which sure. is not a thing I ever, ever planned to, to be in when I was a kid. <laughs> um, but that's like a socially acceptable way of pulling your hair, sure, right? Sure. So it's normal grooming behavior that's gone awry. Birds yeah. do it. Yeah. Horses do it. Yeah. Rats do it. Mice do it. A lot of other mammals do this kind of behavior when they're stressed. So we're no, we're no different. To get to your question, is it ever hard? I, I asked this question of a supervisor of mine in grad school, um, and she was talking about working with people who are in prisons who have been um, found guilty of you know, X, Y, Z, horrendous thing. Yep. I said, how the hell did you do that work? How do you, I, I don't understand. And she thought about it. She got quiet. She reflected. And she said, so much of what we do is trying to connect with the humanity in another person. And yep. if you can do that, you can do this job. And so that's, I've been, that's stuck out of my head ever since is how do I connect with the humanity and the other person? Yeah. If I can do that, things are golden. I'm good. Yeah. And you didn't, you didn't, did you, you didn't start out, you weren't in high school saying I want to become a psychologist. No, I was like, what the hell is a psychologist? Okay. So let's, let's, let's go. (laughs) I'm just going to, can you back that up just a little bit? Back that up. Yeah. Or you mean, I don't mind you leaning forward. I just, yeah, I was just getting a little plosives because you were a little close. Um, if you grew up in Northern California, Northern California, born and raised to Pakistani immigrants. That's right. When did they come over? Your parents? Uh, my dad came over in 1973. My mom came over in 1982. Okay. Why, why'd they come over? My dad had a pretty good job in Pakistan. He, w- he had a job in banking. I think he, um, he majored in or he got a degree in finance or in banking something like that and um he his brother actually came over slightly before a year or two before so his older brother was the pioneer uh, in the family he was a pioneer in the family and he was um he was a doctor a cardiologist um actually still practicing right now um in California, california but yeah so he came over and he he and my dad would write letters back and forth and he'd talk about how beautiful it is here and all the opportunities and all of that. So my dad filed Streets are paved with gold. The streets are made with gold. <laughs> Actually, I think what he said about California was, uh, my dad's name is Unwar, and he said, Unwar, you have to come here. The the beautiful hills, it's just, you feel like you can reach out and just touch them, I think is what he said, um, talking about Silicon Valley. Yeah, well, that, I was going to say, yeah. they were down in Silicon Valley at yeah. the time. But this is 1970s Silicon is Valley, which is very different than yeah. today's Silicon Valley. Yeah, I mean, IBM was... It was still peach was, orchards and yeah. all that, mostly. 
H, um, HP would be there. HP was there, but he, that was like in Palo Alto. Yeah. Um, Intel was there. Yeah. Um, Apple Computer is not founded at this. It was like a you know yeah. years before Apple Computer was going to be founded. Right. Um, so a lot of um, a lot of uh, vegetation, sure. a lot of fruits, um, quiet streets. Um, do you know the way to San Jose was like you know right. you could have that song because a lot of people don't didn't know didn't how to get to San Jose how to get to San Jose right. <laughs> Um, now it's Silicon Valley, but Winchester mystery house was not surrounded by shopping malls. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of out there. I actually grew up about two miles away from Winchester. I I was out there. uh, We'll talk about that later. I was out there a couple of months ago for work and I I went to the house because I had never been there. I had never been there. I, I, you still haven't been here? No, I went there like two years ago. It's amazing. Yeah. It's really amazing. I was like, there's, um, my favorite movie theater was right next door to it. Now it's a parking lot for the other big mall that opened across the street. But, um, that movie theater is where I saw every major movie that had a lasting milestones in your life. Oh yeah. Jurassic Park, Terminator 2, um, one of those like big Back sort of eighties multiplex kind of things. One single, single, single Sing- movie. It okay. was three theaters, but they were like single. Um, okay, right next to each other. Anyway, so my my uncle is writing these letters to my dad, and my dad applies for a visa, and he comes out here and starts working at the very bottom of the barrel. Um, he had a good Doing job business work and, again. Well, he. Um, he worked like three jobs. Um, uh, he worked in like fast food. He because like n- no one else would hire him. Yeah, and so he Especially worked in the bottom. Seventies, right? Immigrant from Pakistan. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. And I mean, he had a a, a finance degree, but um, he wasn't like a professional like my uncle was, like a doctor. Right, or like, right, right. You know, all, like that's a little bit more clear trajectory. So my my dad kind of started at the bottom, worked his, his way up. He also took like night classes. Um, eventually, he got a job at Intel, um, and his bum, boss. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> yeah, right. This is before <laughs> they invented the the microprocessor. Still memory yeah. company. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so his boss was Paul Odolini. Yeah, who, who became the CEO? Became the CEO. Now, here's the funny thing about that: that my my dad's working at Intel. He's learning a lot. Um, he is, he's learning all about, I don't think it was called Excel back then, but it was, he was learning all about the first generation spreadsheet sure. uh, programs. He became like the guy in the office who knew how to use a spreadsheet. And, um, probably Lotus. Uh, might've been Lotus. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Lotus one, two, two three, three, which became sure. the productivity suite later. Yeah. Or these are deep, geeky cuts that yeah, were Lotus making. was where yeah. it's at. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. So, um, my dad's like, you know, Intel's not really going anywhere. Um, <laughs> I don't see anything. I don't, <laughs> there's nothing happening in this no, microprocessor area. No. I'm going to move on to greater things. Uh, so he leaves Intel to get a job at Verbatim. The, the, the disc company. The floppy disc company. Yeah. Because the future is in floppy disks. Um, well, we know how that turns out. Most people <laughs> listening to this probably have never even owned a floppy disk. Um, so he... He worked around Silicon Valley for a while, and you couldn't just bring over your wife and son. My uh, my brother was born just a few years before my dad immigrated to the U.S. Okay. And so they were in Pakistan. My dad's in the U.S. He's trying to save up, and he's trying to file to get 
um, uh, a green card. And then once he gets a green card, he can file to have his wife and son come over. That ended up being about 10 years. And in the, in the interim, my dad had a very long distance relationship in the seventies with my mom and with my brother. Um, so across the world, across the world, how long was he over here? Uh, about 10 years before my mom and, wow. and brother. Yeah. So your so mom you and your brother and, are living over in Pakistan yeah. without your dad. Was he sending money back to them? Was he was sending money. He would, um, he would write letters. He would visit. Um, he would also, um, I think he would send recordings. I think he would make audio recordings and send like a cassette them. Cassette or something. Cassette. I think, I, I think cassettes were out then, right? Or is that the yeah, 80s? Was, well, 70s, late, mid 70s. Okay. So I, I think he did that. And of course, you couldn't just call. Um, calls were really expensive back right. then. You could barely call the next state over, right. let alone around the world. Those were yeah. incredibly expensive phone calls. So they would phone call, but only on special occasions. So um, eventually my dad gets his green card. He's able to file for my mom and brother to come over. He's got a, a bit better job, more income. They come over in 1982, and in 1983, I am born. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, wife. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> so wait, your brother was how much older than you? Uh, about nine and a half years. I that's, usually just say 10 years. That's a lot. That's a long time yeah. difference. Yeah. You know, it was, I didn't realize that as a kid growing up, I didn't know that that was a unusual thing. Yeah. That's the thing about being a kid. Everything seems normal to well, you. And you, whatever your family is, seems like <laughs> yeah. the, the standard family. Totally. This but is how it is for everyone. My mother was here the other day talking about her brother who is seven years older than her. Yeah. And that's old enough that he went away to private school yeah. and then he went away to college. So by the time my sister, my mother rather was nine, yeah. she was an only child. Right. Her, her, right. She wasn't that close with her brother growing up because he was never around. Yeah. So yeah, it's an interesting, it's surprising that your brother and you were so close for so We were long. really close. Yeah. So we were, um, while we were 10 years apart from each other, um, we did so much together uh, so my most vivid memories of childhood are um, us going to the movies together. Us going to those movie theaters. Yeah. It's called Century 21, 22, 23. To go in there to see stuff together. He would take me to the arcades. He was a champion Street Fighter 2 player, like oh, legit. Well, yeah, well, yeah. Champion. He played in tournaments at Golfland out there. And anyone who's in Northern California will know Golfland. Um, that was the the place that got the street far arcade games like right when they came was out. there a particular uh character that he right you and ken right okay. ken he was he tended to be was sort of the standard karate kind of asian <sighs> guy right uh that would be ryu oh, ryu okay. ryu I, I never know what's the best so wait which guy is the guy you're talking about i he, he would usually be ryu i would usually be ken ken okay. was like his American friend. Okay. They both had the same fighting style. Okay. But, and in the older games, they were the same character. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, like, in later games, they had, like, Ryu was more about fireballs and Ken was more about kicks. <laughs> but, um, it's a small detail. Get into the minutiae, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> I can tell a lot about Street Fighter. Um, we would do all of that, and, um, he would, he would always be exposing me to cool stuff. Like, he was the one who took me to go see a double feature that ended up changing my life. It was the Adams family that okay. did not change my life. Yeah. Um, that had no except for, lasting except for the impact. Pinball. Yeah. 
right. <laughs> Barely any impact on my life. And Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Right. Um, Not one of the best of all time. Oh, Ollie's making a face. I love Star Trek VI. <laughs> uh, it's all about the end of the Cold War. It's about taking these characters, the Klingons, who have been um, Kirk's arch nemesis, and now finding a way to make peace with them because they can no longer afford this war. It was about the Russians and, and yeah. America and, the, and all that stuff. Like, of course, I didn't realize at that time. This sure. is like 1991, But it was the first time <laughs> I saw a movie that um, really lived on in my head. Was that the beginning of your Star Trek obsession? Totally. That's I, I had no idea what Star Trek was prior to that. How old are you? Close to nine. Okay. And then did you then go directly to the video store and rent all the other movies? Well, like I saw that movie and I was, and on the ride home, my brother could tell like the gears were turning in my head. And again, remember like he's 10 years older than me. So he's got, he's like, he's a young college kid or whatever. Exactly. And so he's like, um, you seem to really like that. And I was like, oh yeah, like this and that. And you know, Sulu saying target that explosion and fire and those ships. That's so cool. And I had seen star Wars before, but yeah. star Wars freaked me out. Oh, interesting. It legit was scary to me. Um, the, the, Emperor, the bad guys are, oh yeah. Okay. So all of that, all of that, and everyone always losing a limb. Like someone's always losing a limb and, and those, like, like these long pathways. It's not a safe universe. You could just fall off yeah, yeah, and like yeah. this endless abyss. Now you're, you're kind of falling down to, um, it, it seemed like a very scary universe. Um, uh, but Star Trek was different and Star Trek wasn't as fantastical. It seemed more real to me. It seemed like that could be us. So anyways, we're in the car going back home and my brother's like, you really seem to like that. And I'm like, oh yeah. And he's like, you realize that was Star Trek six, right? And I'm like, what? And he's like, I, I can't read Roman numerals. And he, I, I, I was like, I thought that was Star Trek VI. Um, he's like, no, that means there's five other movies. You want to watch them? And so we rented them from Blockbuster Video. Yeah. And I watched Little Ollie's all mind the, blows. Oh, yeah. And I, I watched Wrath of Khan, which is a second movie. And I'm like, Spock dies? What yeah. the hell? He's in Star Trek VI. Yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. understand. Yeah, yeah. And then he's hey, like, Let's spoiler watch alert. Right, right. Spoilers <laughs> for 1982. The, the first um, movie is is very, is a little slow. odd. Yes. Yeah. It's got that beautiful it's 1970s pacing. <laughs> yeah, it almost feels like it's trying to be 2001 or something. Some of the yeah. scenes were, you know. Yeah. Well, I think 2001 was so influential. And you also had um, the director. I'm, I'm blanking on his name. Great director. Um, he did the Mo- Star Trek The Motion Picture. He also did The Andromeda Strain. Oh, okay. Um, I'll have to look it up. Uh, I think he also did like Singing in a Rain or something. Really? Like, oh, he's one of those he, guys. He's done like a ton of stuff. Um Maybe not seeing the rain, but it was like something else of the of that era that you're like, oh my gosh. Anyways, he has a very slow, methodical style that today would never work. Yeah, certainly not um, on an American blockbuster movie. No. But that movie did not no. do very well the first time. No, one, right? it cost a lot of money. <laughs> it didn't do well. And then um That was a good Meyer, ten years after this show went off because the show original yeah. series was only on for three, four seasons, something? Uh two seasons was canceled, and then with a fan writing campaign was brought back for a third season and then was canceled. And it it really made its um mark in syndication. Right. 
and that's right. where it found its audiences. It was at earlier times. It was younger generations. So that was what, 68 to 71 yeah. or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So then the movie comes out in 78 or whatever it is mm-hmm. as, as like a, a no After fans. Star Wars. Yeah, after, oh, yeah. Oh, I see. Paramount oh, interesting. saw so we can, Star Wars and they're like, what? Do we have anything like that? Oh, we got that and show like, that ever we did 10 years ago. Exactly. Let's get those guys. Maybe exactly. we even have contracts still with them. Exactly. Um, all right, so you watch, you watch all these movies with your brother. Yeah, this is early '90s. Then you also had yeah. Next Generation. So yeah, the original Next Generation series. was on air. <laughs> was it still? Yeah, it was on air. So my brother and I then watched um, Star Trek: The Next Generation in syndication while also watching the new episodes. So like the last, you were fully steeped. Oh, it was it was a glorious <laughs> time. Um, <laughs> I, I caught about the last season and a half of Star Trek The Next Generation as it aired. So I watched the last episode of it um, when it aired. And it was uh, it was a, a moving experience to see this goodbye to this cast. Sure. And then... Um, Even then more so for people who watched it for eight years. I know. I know. Seven years. Seven years. Sorry. TNG My was bad. seven years. Yeah, it's okay. I'll forgive that. <laughs> that was close. <laughs> but in the... In, the interim, um, my brother and I also just fell in love with uh, science fiction. Uh, this became another thing that we just did. Um, in addition to Star Trek, we we watched all the Planet of the Apes movies. So I think there at that time there were five, five of the original series that were launched with Charlton Heston. Sure, and so we loved Planet of the Apes. Damn you all the hell. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to quote actually from my cold dead hands. Oh yeah. Was NRA quote. That is not what I meant, but yeah. Um, damn you, you blew it up. Um, such a good film. Um, it, that's one of those ones where don't you wish you could have been in that theater when it first came to out and ending. not know the ending. Yeah. Yeah. And to see it with an audience and everyone would be like, what? Yeah. That's, it would almost be like watching the Avengers infinity war. <laughs> there's actually one of my favorite episodes of mad men is an episode where don draper and i think his son or his daughter i don't remember probably his daughter actually they have a ditch day and they go see a movie and they see the original planet, planet of the apes, apes and they watch the ending and they're like what what yeah and then his daughter goes like i don't i don't get it that that's earth that's that's yeah and he's like yeah i guess and he goes you want to watch it again? And they just stay in the theater. They just watch, watch it, it again. again. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's cool. So um, we consumed all of that stuff and we would stay up late all night talking about what it meant and debating it and getting into philosophy about like good and evil and all that stuff. So, yeah. uh, and then uh, Sequest DSV was another one I really got into sliders. Sequest, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, sequence. Well, you were, you're a little younger than you're the next generation down in some ways. Right, you know, you're right what, eight, from you. eight or ten years younger than me. Yeah. So yeah, you you got all those '90s shows when right. we were in college. You were <laughs> like in high school and, and yeah. middle school and stuff, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, like one generation down. So you <clears throat> you got more of probably the '80s stuff. Yep. So Six Million Dollar Man. That was late '70s, but late yeah. '70s. Uh, what were A-team. the '80s? The A Team. Right. Yeah, what were like, some of the other 80s? Uh, oh, God. I was never a huge TV watcher. So this Right. Is, you I'm, got I'm like one channel and it was just PBS. Yeah. <laughs> Doctor Who. Yeah, Doctor Who. I watched Doctor Who, but only on 
PBS at two in the morning when they decided to show it, and oh you didn't God. know what the were hell they it was. Were showing it in like London time? What were I think <laughs> I think it was just one of those things where they had the rights to it, so mm-hmm. they would show it at two o'clock in the morning when nothing else could be on. And <laughs> and as a kid, you're watching it, and you're watching this strange British show where this guy's in a box. That, by the way, I know you have very strong feelings about Star Trek, yeah. but. You know, oh, we can go to you know hyper hyperspace and yeah. all this kind of stuff. This is a box that goes into it. <laughs> it's just a window into a trans-dimensional space that right. the ship is in. I mean, that's like a whole other higher level. Oh of, yeah, of, and of I mean it, and it uh, bends space and time, so yeah. you don't need to like fly somewhere. You can just be there. And there's a reincarnating man who can fix everything. Who right. can't die? And, yeah, Sonic exactly. Yeah, it's Jesus it's, had one of those too. <laughs> I love uh, I love how different it is now. Um, yeah, I mean, years ago I was like, "What is this?" Has thing? Uh, what's her name, Jodie Whittaker? Or- she starts like uh, <clears throat> I think late this year, or early uh, next year. You know, year? I, quick tangent. I when they first announced that, I, I'm not against it in any way, but I was I part of me said, oh, "Just have another Time Lord." The Doctor had, you know, what is he on? Thirteen, I guess it 13, is. Thirteen. She'll be the thirteenth right. Doctor. Yeah. Um, that that there has there have been female time lords. There was yes. Romana in the first uh, the old school thing with Tom Baker who uh, uh, turned into a Lala Ward who you know the 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 second the woman who played the second Romana. I so, don't know, but I'll take your word for that. Yes. There, there, there were time lords <laughs> who regenerated into other women. Female time lords yeah. who regenerated into another woman's thing, which so, the Master did too recently, right? Well, see, okay, that's the thing is that I always saw it as okay, they're a male time lord or a female time lord mm-hmm. they regenerate into another male lord you know i think i always for a long time i thought jumping genders is like a little too much of a switch for a re- reincarnation yeah and i was not morally against it but just yeah. sort of oh this doesn't fit my canon against it yeah 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 <laughs> right right so I, I but but now i've come around to it and i'm kind of excited to see what this woman this actress does with it yeah so I, you know i think it's three things so one is um it reflects our changing understanding of gender. Um, yeah. That gender is less a specific thing and more of a spectrum. It's not as less of a discrete thing and more of a spectrum. Yes. There's that. I, I think, number two, it opens up a lot of storytelling opportunities. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that's, uh, that's what makes it kind of interesting is that yeah. you have somebody doing something different. I wanted to ask you a question, though. When you were younger, you're, your parents religious? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> right. So you were raised Muslim? What, yeah. What? And yeah, so yeah. did you guys go to mosque and like do yeah, all that so kind of stuff? Yeah, so I went to Sunday school um, and we Were there would... a lot of people, Muslims in San Jose area when you were growing up? You know, at Sunday school, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in my elementary school, I would say I didn't really know who else might be Muslim. I mean, I, I kind of like had my suspicions were there a lot of other south asian kids not really um not at that time so i would um my elementary school was in saratoga california okay which was a little bit less diverse than san jose and then in third grade we moved to san jose which looking back i or at the time i thought it was like the most traumatic thing ever to like move 10 miles away right. and to start a new school. And now I'm like, seriously, Ali? But at the time it felt like that. Sure, of course. Like, you mean you have to leave all, all your, your friends? Fr- and- exactly. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. So that sucked. But um, when I moved to San Jose, it was a little bit more diverse. Yeah. 
Um, I, I I found this out years later when I moved in um, new schools and started third grade. There was a a girl in um, in my class. Her name's Laylee. And she told me you still that talk to Laylee? I do. Laylee, Laylee, Facebook friends. We we're Facebook friends. She recently <laughs> got married to um, another mutual friend of ours from high school. She's awesome. I, I love Laylee. Uh, but she told me senior year of high school that when I walked in third grade, she was so happy that there was another brown kid in the classroom. Oh, sure. She's like, you know, finally, all these years, I've been the only one. And here's, a, here's yeah, another yeah, yeah. one. And, um, but I didn't find that out until like senior year of high school that that's how she felt. Um, like we could have been closer friends. We could have been closer friends. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I always felt like I was different. Um, I mean, one of my specific, like this, what feels like such a visceral memory is in second grade. I, um, no, it was first grade. Um, it was shortly after the Christmas break. Mm -hmm. And so we came back. And my teacher had the brilliant idea of having everyone sit in circle time and share what gifts they got for Christmas. <laughs> and so this is the kind of thing that would never yeah. happen now, um, especially in a place like San Jose. But um, it, it felt like me being this little Muslim kid looked over at the other Jewish kids and we're like, this is going to be bad, you know? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so we had to go around and, and, and I was, um, I was selectively mute as a kid. So that, I know that sounds like an X-Men superpower. It's not what it means in certain situations. I was mute. I did not talk. Climbed up. I climbed up. I would freeze. And oftentimes social, or so selectively mute becomes social anxiety, which it did for me. Uh, but at the time, in school environments, I would not talk, and this teacher would not have it. She was waiting for me to say something, which is actually one of the ways you want to treat it. But my kindergarten teacher just accommodated the yeah. hell out of it and would let other teachers or would let other students talk for me. Anyways, going around in circle, like sharing everything you got for Christmas, which is also like not just like culturally and religiously bad, but it's also like socioeconomically sure, bad. Of Some kids I are got a rich. new car and I got a ball. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got a gumball. Right. Um, I got socks. It's the same way that I feel about uh, uh, student uniforms mm. where when I was a kid, mm -hmm. I was like, that's absurd. And then you think about it and you go, yeah. no, but then everybody's the same. Everyone you, looks the same. Yeah. You don't have totally. fancier dress than I do. And yeah. therefore this is not I'm right there with you. It's really interesting yeah. as you get older, you see things from a different point of view. Yeah. All right. So, so they're going around the room, they get yeah. to you and, and I have to make something up and I'm thinking, so you decided just to make something up. Well, I, you know, as opposed to saying I don't I'm, celebrate Christmas, yeah. so I don't get any. Now, gifts. if my wife was there, my wife is the opposite. We have opposite strengths. She is assertive, courageous, speaks truth to power. Right. I was, cowardly yeah, yeah. uh speak lies to power yeah, like you yeah. know like all that I'm, I'm the opposite and um to be a little bit nicer to myself i was more the um let's reduce conflict you know so it wasn't a matter of i feel like i'm being left out and i for not being Christian or Western or whatever yeah. it is like was there was that an element of it or was it no. just no i'm just different and i didn't do that and 
I don't want to be embarrassed by saying that I didn't do that. Like what? It, it was, I don't want to draw attention to myself for being different. Okay. Now, so, I understand that as an adult, but at the time, it was more just like, I don't want the spotlight on me. Okay. I don't want people to think I'm different. And I I said the first thing that came to my mind. Um, for some reason, I had a flash. A Jesus doll. <laughs> Jesus doll. That would have been a great answer. People would have been like, wow, this guy really celebrates Christmas. Uh, uh, he is just like us. Uh, I thought of Bugs Bunny and I said, I got rabbits. I got rabbits for Christmas. And the teacher was kind of like, you got rabbits? Really? <laughs> what? Bring one of those rabbits in. I want to <laughs> yeah, see this yeah. rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> and like walking home from school that day, I, I I knew in my head that that was like a bad answer. And I have this uh, very clear memory of going to the bathroom because that's the only place where you can lock the door as a kid and looking in the mirror and being like, why did I have to be the only brown kid in that class? Like, why do I have to be brown? Why do I have to be different? And that feeling of wanting to fit in, not wanting to seem different, um, not wanting attention drawn to myself was a feeling that stuck with me for a very long time. So um, when you ask the question of like, were there a lot of Muslim kids? I don't know, because I wasn't I wasn't trying to do anything. I was trying to keep my head low and just kind of get through. Yeah, and not draw any attention to myself. But um, it's but what's interesting about it is that you were different in all those ways. Oh, my skin color is different. My religion is different. You know, I was really tall, so I always um, stuck out quite literally. Right. But at the same time, you're also obsessed with sci-fi and yeah. Star Trek, which yeah. there must have been other kids who were into that kind of stuff right. too. So here's here's that story. Um, so I didn't know at the time. The, uh, how popular Star Trek was. Yeah. And I also didn't know... You thought it was just your special thing. Right. <laughs> Again. They made it just for you. <laughs> I'm not the kid who put, connected the dots and realized it was Star Trek VI. And yeah, that was Star true. Trek VI. You're that guy. I was that guy. I was like, what? There's other people that like this? <laughs> so um, in fifth grade, fourth or fifth grade, I, I've I've tried to do research on this and figure out the exact date. And... There's no information about this, but I saw an ad in the newspaper for a Star Trek convention that was coming to San Jose, the San Jose Convention Center. This was a little bit before Star Trek Generations was coming out. Right. So it was shortly after Star Trek VI had come out and Star Trek The Next Generation was ending. So it was a time where um, many Star Trek historians consider to be um, the zenith of Star Trek because you had the original series the remnants of the original ending. series. Yeah. They were still around popular as ever. They ended like Seinfeld at the top of their game. The next generation was about to start making movies. Yep. Deep space nine was going into its second or third season. Yep. They're beginning to launch Star Trek Voyager. Right. So you had production that was ending or starting Yep. on like four different Star Trek properties. Right, it was insane. It was insane. Yeah. yeah, They were about to pass the torch in the movies with Generations and all the rest of it. Okay, yeah. So this is the Star Trek convention. Like Star Trek conventions are also happening like every weekend in every major city all over the world. Like this is big, big yeah. time. So I see that ad and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to, there's a Star Trek convention? What the hell? I asked my parents, like, please, 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 please. It's only 20 bucks for admission. I really want to go. Can I go? And my dad's like, 
I don't get it. Can't you just like sit and watch Star Trek? Why do you have to go to a Star Trek convention? And my mom was like, just let him go. I'll take him. Who cares? Like, he'll just go. Why was your father so anti? He wasn't anti as much as he just didn't get it. Okay. Did he have nothing in his life that was that kind of thing? When I I got my PhD and we're having this graduation brunch, my, my buddy Matt, Asked my dad, hey, so were you ever into Star Trek? And my dad goes, oh, yeah, in the 60s, Captain Kirk was my hero. And I'm like, what? All dad, of this time, we could have bonded told, on this. You've never told me this? And he's like, yeah, I kind of looked at him as this explorer um, going to the new frontiers. And I was like, I'm going to do that. And that was one of the things that I thought about in terms of going to America. What? If dad? it wasn't for Star um, Trek, you wouldn't be here. Literally yeah. and figuratively. It's one of those moments where... As kids, you just don't think to ask your parents questions about yeah. their lives or about who they were before you were born. Sure, sure. They're always your parent. Yeah, They yeah. were never a young person who had dreams of their own, you know? Gosh, so he just didn't get the convention thing. Right, okay. So so your mother so takes you to the convention? My mom, um, now remember, I'm like in fourth or fifth yeah, grade. Where was your brother at this point? Oh, gosh, he was, I think, I don't, I don't know where, I don't know where he was. He was either taking classes in college or he also later enlisted in the Navy. I don't think he was in the Navy. What did he go to school for? (laughs) He changed his mind many times. I think he got. One of um, those. Yeah, I think he got. uh, He double majored in linguistics and computer science. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. right, So so your mother takes you to the convention. She drops me off at like nine in the morning. She gives me 40 bucks (laughs) and she says, call me when you're done. And then she takes off. Like, so first off, like. Again, it's your family. You don't think anything's weird of it, but she just like dropped me off at the Star Trek convention. Like dropped. Who off knows what kind of crazy grader. people are at the right, Star Trek convention? Right. Like who knows what this is? But that, in retrospect, I think is such an amazing thing that my parents did. Is they trusted me? Yeah. What a crazy gift. Yeah. 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 They and they would do this with like amusement parks and all sorts of stuff. They would just like yeah. let me go and try. The world and be is on not as own. scary as some people make it out. To exactly. Be. Exactly. I really, especially I love the them. people at a Star Trek convention. That my joke aside, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> come on, <laughs> most lovable kind. Exactly. Yeah. People who believe in the ideals of <laughs> yeah. infinite if, if diversity. If she never came back, you still would have been all right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so I'm at the doors of the Star Trek convention center. Are you or nervous? San Jose. Are you freaking I, out? I am freaking out with excitement but here's the thing bill i want i want these people behind the doors to like me because i've never been at a star trek convention before i love star trek and i want to make a good impression so i'm standing there in front of the doors and i'm like i want them to know how cool i am you know i want them to think that i'm cool again this big fear that i have that i'm different strange weird so i take my glasses yeah I take them off and in my and I put them in my pocket because I don't want to I don't want people to think I'm a nerd at this at Star, a Star Trek, Trek convention. convention. <laughs> <laughs> so glasses in pocket, I walk in. Now I don't have the best vision. Right. Like without my glasses, I could not see much. Yeah. I could tell that like this person is dressed up as like an original series character because of their gold shirt. I could kind of guess that that person's a Klingon, but I couldn't see details, um, which was okay for like half the day because I went into the dealer's room, which is where people sell sold merchandise, all the stuff, yeah, all the stuff, right? And you kind of <laughs> get up close to tables and you pick up things and you put them close to your head. But everyone does that because we're we want to see all the details. We're obsessive about all the stuff. 
I bought one of the most, uh, one of my most favorite texts of all time, which is a Star Trek Next Generation technical manual, which is an amazing thing because it explains how the fake technology works up sure. top. I, I know this book. You know this book. And on the bottom, it explains like the reality of the yeah, science. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about hyperspace. Yeah. Or a Heisenberg compensator. That's exactly. my favorite page. It's like, here's how the Heisenberg compensator works. It compensates for a Heisenberg uncertainty principle. And on the bottom, they're like, yeah, we don't know how this works. There's yeah, no. Yeah. yeah, there's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, for that stuff, it was fine. And then it was a keynote speaker who was Leonard Nimoy. And so I go into the room where Leonard Nimoy is going to speak. I'm so excited to see right. him. And then he appears on stage and I can't see, see him. him. <laughs> and I will, will not put on my glasses. Were you I, thinking about it? Were you like, should I put on yeah. my glasses? I, yeah. No, if I put on my glasses, then people think I'm a nerd. I was so stuck in my head. Didn't you see enough nerds around you? No, I didn't see them, Bill. That's a whole point. <laughs> Are you not listening to the story? Um, I, I, that sticks out so much in my head. And it's such a great example of like my childhood wanting to do this thing. And at the same time, not wanting people to judge me or think I'm different or strange. Right. So I never saw him. I I heard everything he said. He shared stories about California filming Star Trek Four um, in Monterey Bay Aquarium. Sure. Why he wasn't in Star Trek Generations? He's like, eh, there wasn't a big role. It just would have felt like a cameo. I didn't want to do that. I felt like we had a good send off in Star Trek Six. Um, and Wait, just that's what they off, filmed for. Uh, Star Trek Four was filmed in Monterey. Bay. I was Bay. just out there yeah. shooting the in San exec- Francisco because I shot Francisco. the director of the place. Oh, the Monterey Bay Aquarium? Yeah. I love that place. For for uh, Eating Well Magazine a few months ago, I was out yeah. there and shot her, Julie Packard. Her father's the David Packard of Hewlett Packard. Oh, well. Her and her brothers and sisters are worth like 14 billion. California royalty right there. Yep. <clears throat> Did, do you remember the back of the of the? I mean the tide pool? Yes. I was standing in the tide pool okay. taking her picture. So that was the set for where the whales were in Star Trek. Oh, IV. interesting. Yeah. And um, the the lobby in the entryway is still kind of lined up as it is in the movie when Kirk and Spock walk now, in. Now having been there, I'm going to have to go. You have to rewatch have the to re- movie. I have to rewatch it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so, uh, so Leonard Nimoy, you can't see him. I can't see him. And you don't put on your glasses. I don't. I refuse to. <laughs> what I do is the moment I walk out, you know, I have this amazing day. It's five o'clock. I call my mom. She you spent the whole day just walking around. It was eight hours of hardcore Star Trek, whatever. They're, you're the last person out the door. They're like, get <laughs> no, out of here, kid. I am not the last person out the door. But I am... Um, Getting tired and cranky. No. No. I don't, I don't even know if I had lunch. I like... <laughs> I, I didn't know if I breathed uh, during that. It was... Um, it was such a, um awesome moment in quite literal... The literal sense of what awesome sure, means. Yeah. Um, I had no idea there was such a large community of people who love this thing that I love. The moment I leave the convention center, I put on my glasses because I didn't want my mom to know that I didn't put on my glasses (laughs) because she would have yelled at me and said, Clark Kent and Superman. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's what I was. I was super bad. (laughs) But here's the thing is, um, again, I didn't know that this thing that I loved had all of these fans and this community i also didn't know that there was a stereotype around it so you flash forward to sixth grade and i'm now in middle school and there are um there's these group of three kids who once a month dress up as uh star trek characters and they come to school 
Like this is early nineties. Yeah. That's pretty nerdy. It's pretty nerdy. There's no cosplay. Yeah. There are no comic. I mean, there is San Diego comic con, but there's no comic con culture. Um, community, the show, like we have nothing like that. Nothing that celebrates geeky stuff. Sure. Um, this was, this was like, you know, different world. And, um, what I saw is I, I saw those people get bullied. Um, I saw them get beat up. Um, the, once it happened right in front of me and I didn't do anything because I was so terrified. So I learned that this thing that I love, maybe I should bury it deep down inside. Um, in seventh grade, I think that's when Star Trek first contact came out and I was at a Barnes and Noble and I picked up Star Trek, the official magazine, and I was reading it. And this kid from school sees me and he has these three buddies and they point and they laugh and they're like, check out this queer reading Star Trek. Wow. And I like drop the magazine and run. And I'm so scared. It gets back to that moment of what did you get for Christmas? I didn't think about the injustice or anger or standing up for myself. It was more, I need to get to safety and I need to get attention away from me. It's interesting how much has changed. Your generation in many ways is the pivot point of the, I had a, I would have a similar thing in the eighties. You mm-hmm. know, I, I was into say skateboarding or whatever it is, which is not whatever may, it is. The kids do may have been cool in San Francisco, but yeah. you know, is not cool in Connecticut. You know what I mean? Or that, whatever, whatever it is. That, right? Wait, are you for real? This is, uh, yeah. Or, was, or video games or I played piano or I liked Barry Manilow or whatever the thing was. Right. But, and there would be all these elements of people that, you wouldn't talk about for fear of being excluded. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I don't drink. Right. Yeah. I never drank. You know, you didn't for yeah. many, many years. You know what yeah. I mean? That's a whole other thing. But th- that, that I listen to you say, Oh, I had to hide the fact that I was into Star Trek. And that to me, not that it sounds correct, but it sounds, yeah, that's, that's par for the course. Yeah. Your generation is also the one where the internet happens and sub communities can yeah. exist. Yeah. You had that inflection point where you saw it on the 80s side and you saw it on the 2000s side. Yeah. <clears throat> this is why my generation is the greatest generation. <laughs> I, I, I think we, um, something that you and I share in common is we, we remember that before and after. Sure. And you think most people don't? I, I think the internet is a big, a big turning point yeah. for people who, remember how we lived before the internet and how we lived after sure. uh, like just like if you were born yeah if you're my nephew or or you know he can play with his phone yeah. he doesn't realize that those things didn't exist before he was well you your know. nephew and my daughter are never going to stop at a gas station to ask for directions yeah true. you know like yeah. we did that yeah. or have to go in person to a library to or get call a restaurant to find out their hours yeah exactly yeah. or like yellow pages they're not gonna know what's that no, yellow pages. Uh, right um that sounds disgusting dad what is what are <laughs> yellow pages so um i think a a big part of it is the internet because yeah. once the internet came online i was able i, I joined a star trek role-playing game right. i was uh I was Commander uh, Corin Dyson this is of the USS Starwind. Yeah, this is like 1997 right. now. Um, 
again, my my brother was super into tech, so we were early adopters of uh, the well, internet. And you were in Silicon Valley. And we were in Silicon Valley, right? We had internet access. Um, so I was able to connect with other people who love the stuff through the internet, IRC. We would we would connect sure. a lot over that and do That's all that. Internet kind of relay stuff. chat for those youngsters <laughs> yeah. out there. Yeah. It's like pre pre texting, pre AOL instant messenger. Right. Like that was the way you have chats with people. Um but then also I think the other thing that happened is uh the Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniaks of the world. Mm-hmm. Like it became not only um you could be a nerd and be successful. Yeah, the nerds became the masters. Exactly. That yeah. sounds so... Um, well, yeah, yeah. It, it sounds weird to put it that way, but it um, the nerds in many ways won. Yeah, um, and I think that, side note, I think that part of the problem with today is I think the nerds who remember being the kids who couldn't talk about it, who are now in charge are not quite self-aware of their own power and sometimes how they misuse it. Oh, absolutely. That, that's a whole other topic for a whole other time. But I think that it's, oh a, it's a little bit like, you know, I, I have a I'm recording on a MacBook Pro. I have an iMac Pro over there. Yeah. I have an iPhone. Like I You use, had a Hackintosh. Right. Yeah. I bought an iMac Pro recently. That's a longer story. But yeah, but I, I have all these Apple things and I have friends who are serious Apple people. Yeah. But the Apple people who when Apple was three percent of the market and they were this huge underdog yeah. and they still yeah, act yeah, as yeah. if Apple is an underdog. It's like, no, they run the world. <laughs> no, no. They can't treat people. The, they, well, they can do whatever they want because, they, you know, <laughs> they've become the Borg. Yes, <laughs> like, they are. You are the, the big Microsoft. guy on the screen yeah. in the 1884 yeah, yeah, commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And Absolutely. if you don't realize that, then you're just looking at it that's a beautiful analogy bill um i don't know if other people would find it beautiful but i find it beautiful because that's um i see that in the world of uh of geek culture like i'm in a different place in my life now like i i i moderated a panel with julie nimoy a few years ago the daughter of leonard nimoy yeah like that blows my mind yeah to be the kid who took off his glasses out of fear of being judged. Did you have, and tell her that Leonard. story? I did tell her that story. And <laughs> did she laugh or did she? She laughed and she's like, you know, Leonard would not have thought differently of you. And I'm like, well, first off, Leonard wouldn't have noticed me. Yeah. Your yeah. dad would not and, have. Like, and again, <laughs> no one in that room would have cared. And, and yeah, that's kind of what we talked they about. They would have kind of been um, like, oh, look, it's the nerdy brown kid. Like, right. he's here too. Yeah, Great. yeah. Like, yay, let's talk about our favorite episodes. Exactly. Um, <laughs> she, no, we had a good, we had a good laugh about it. And, uh, and I, ta- I told her how meaningful it is for me not to be here and in this position like to have owned all of these things. But anyways, my life is in a different place now, but um, what I get to see is that I, I also get to see other people who've, who are kind of in this role, who were bullied as kids and are now empowered and toxic stuff can happen. And yeah. I also see that happen in the world of academia. Sure. Where people were, grew up uh, feeling different or disenfranchised or bullied. And then um, there's smart people who try hard, get advanced degrees and are in positions of power and how sometimes that can toxically play out in their relationship with grad students or with undergrads um, or with their colleagues and how so many of them might have a hard time just learning to play nice with I was actually having colleagues. a conversation with my wife this morning and I forget what we were talking about. There's some, something had come up recently about 
people in power. Oh, it was uh, people in uh, women in business. She was telling me the story she read about some woman who uh, became a CEO. And I don't know, there was some, there was some thing at, at work about the women wanting to do something that was exclusionary towards men sure. at, at, the, at the job, whatever. And I said, you know, this is just an example of, it's not about men or white people or whatever being evil. It's like power just corrupts people in general. And a lot of people, when they get to a certain level, end up doing bad things, you know, that, that it's, yeah. it's the power that is the problem or just the position in society. And it, Maybe it's an evolutionary thing of, you know, once you're on top, you try to keep other people down or whatever it is. There's more to it. You know, it's, there's a, a, it's lot a complex it. subject. Yeah, there's two lectures in my introductory psychology class that people tend to hate often. <laughs> uh, one is on memory. And when I talk about how, how terrible it is, how terrible it is and how um, I like to think about it as how flexible and um how um yeah how flexible it is because it changes with time yep and the more, the more you, static the more you recover a memory in your brain the more you change it you're changing exactly. it as you're yeah you're, yeah yeah when you think of a memory you recreate it yeah and when you recreate it you're making a photocopy you're you're bringing in new information yeah. as much as you are recalling older information yeah. uh, memory is like wikipedia yeah. like anyone can edit it it can be changed yeah People don't like hearing that because it, no. it brings up big questions of, well, like, who the hell am I then yeah. if my memories aren't real? Yeah. And it's like... And what are witnesses and legal stuff Totally. <laughs> like, no one likes... No one in my introductory psych class likes having that discussion. Yeah. The other thing that people don't like is when we talk about the research on good and evil yeah. and how certain environments can bring out the worst in people yep. and how certain environments can bring out the best of people. Yep. It brings into the whole question of um, how we assign guilt and blame and um, all of that kind of stuff. You know, if, if you can construct environments that make it more likely that people do horrible things, then who's to blame? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Might yeah. not be the individual. <clears throat> um, yeah. And then, then that leads into whole. Well, because it makes it makes people uncomfortable because it makes the foundations of everything malleable, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, it's, and not just shaking them or breaking them up. It just means that oh, there's no truth in in some level. Which which I lately yeah. I've been obsessed yeah. with this idea of even the whole concept of postmodernism and postmodern thought and stuff. To me, feels like a cul-de-sac. It's a dead end. It's like once you <laughs> once you step into a place where there's no road signs and everything's a void, then it doesn't matter where you move because you're still just in the void. Right. That I'm, I've been backing right. up towards. You know, we need to have romantic rationalism. You know, yeah. romanticism and rationalism, whatever it is, because I think that's maybe the only way forward. Well, anyway, that's a whole other conversation. Well, it gets to. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought up art here because it it does get to the stories, the media, the ideas that we consume and we're raised with. I mean, we're raised with stories about good and evil. Yep. And if you have to now confront ideas of, well, those are constructs that we made yeah. up. It who defined good and evil? Who defined good and evil? And I, I think, I do think stories are incredibly valuable because they teach, they teach us morals and aspirational goals. Yeah. That's important. We need that. We need that when we are in these situations to think of like, well, what would, you know, what, what would Superman do yeah. in this situation? What would Wonder Woman do in this situation? Like, how would your heroes act in this situation? At the same time, when we're, when we're judging people, yeah. we need to have 
a judge, uh, we need to bring in information that is beyond just their individual character, but like, how did the environment, how did, um, how did everything else help the person to do this thing that happened? It gets back to the idea of connecting with the humanity in the person. Yeah. Like people don't like having that conversation, especially when it gets into the legal world. Sure. Absolutely. All right. So tangent done. You, so, <laughs> you're, you're in high school. Yeah. I'm in high school. You, you, you met your now wife. Yeah. In when high you were school. how old in high school? We, I, we met quote, um, air quotes here. We met freshman year of high school. We had lockers next to each other, but we hated each other at right. that point. She was the bookworm, always early to class. I was too cool for school, slacker, always late to class. And yeah. like um, lingering around the locker and getting in the way of her getting in and out, getting her books yeah. and getting in the class. She's also uh, a child of immigrant parents yeah, from her, Vietnam. Yeah, her parents um, are refugees. Uh, she was, she and her Parents were born in Vietnam, and my wife and her family escaped um, when she was like one year old. They escaped the communists and uh, um, like barely got out of there. Right. Like they have friends who did not make it. Right. Who, who pirates uh, invaded their their ships as they were leaving the country. It's interesting that you you would think in some ways not that your family had the same sort of um, you weren't pushed out of Pakistan. Right. It was they more left of an by opportunity choice. thing. Yeah. yeah. But it's I want. Did you guys ever feel like you bonded because of that sort of shared? Yeah, we ex- um, family. Experience? Well, the shared experience that we bonded over was the shared experience of being the uh, outsiders, being different. Yeah, and she dealt with that by kind of going she, full Type A bookworm kind yeah, of thing. Well, she she dealt with that by you know like warp speed ahead. Like, um, was that her or was that her parents went. pushing her in that direction? Both. Um, Part of it is her personality and part of it is also uh, nurture. Um, Like I I love the idea nature via nurture. Like there's probably personality traits that she inherited and that those traits were reinforced by her parents. Her parents expressing a gene by having an environmental factor. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. She, um, her dad and mom were amazing in raising her to be assertive and to say, you know, your name is Nguyen um, do not let people come up with a new name for you. Be proud of your name. It, it's a beautiful name. We gave it to you with a lot of love. Um, never correct or never let anyone give you a nickname. Yeah. Whereas for me, I was like, oh, some people call me Ali. Some people call me Ali. Some people want to call me Al. Like I yeah. would. You would take Al back then? I didn't. Al was where I drew the line, but like, <laughs> um, Probably because I had a crush on Al and Step by Step on TV, and I didn't want that would just be too yeah. too much for my brain to handle if yeah. people started calling me Al. Um, but uh, like people call me Prince Ali, and I would run sure. away and cry and all of that. Right. And then later, my brothers like they're calling you Prince Ali, like they could be calling you worse things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the grand scheme of things, the hero yeah. of Aladdin is <laughs> right. not a bad thing, <laughs> right? Right. You know? Hey, Luke but, Skywalker. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> But like, um, you know, my wife's name is New Anne, N-H-U hyphen A-N. There's a hyphen in her name. Like there's a lot of things that people would get stuck on. They would never know how to say her name. And I always tell people it's like the opposite of old Anne. It's New Anne. That's how she introduced herself the the night we met her. Yeah, it's very And you know what though? I've never forgotten you her never name forget. because of yeah, that. Yeah, um, it's actually a good mnemonic. I, I I'm all about mnemonics and remembering names, and um, that's that's a good one there. Um, one of her coworkers at an old job, um, 
used to say, well, if you're new Anne, um, I want to be classic Anne. And so she, <laughs> she, they, that was a cute. fun little thing they did. But, um, but there you are, freshmen was, next yeah, to each other. Yeah. Obviously interacted at, at times, but yeah. nothing serious. No. And um, sophomore year of high school, we both had a class together. We had English uh, together and we sat next to each other. And we didn't realize we were the same people um, that hated each other. And that actually speaks to the diversity of my high school. My high school was a pretty diverse place. Oh, yeah. You were that and, other brown kid. <laughs> right, yeah, right. That right. other nerdy, yeah. tall brown kid with glasses. <laughs> yeah. And you were that other V to V's girl. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So we, um, she was just always really nice to me. And um, I don't know. I I always have a thing for girls that are nice to me. Funny that. Uh, yeah. It's better than the opposite. Some people are into people who are really jerks to them. And- right. Um, and she was just smart um, and confident. And she was all of those things that I thought I was not. And yeah. I was really attracted to that. Um, she was smart, um, assertive. She knew who she was. Um, she didn't take crap from anyone. Um and so I had a big crush on her, but I didn't do anything about it until senior year. And that's when we started dating and uh, been together pretty much ever since. How was that How was that conversation? Were you just like, you know, I know we've been friends for the past few years, but I kind of want to make out with you. Uh, that no, how it, was? It, was not, it was not like that. It was more, <laughs> hey, so my friend's having a party. Do you yeah. want to come over or do you want to go to the party? I think you'd have a lot of fun. Oh, I happen and- to be going. I could give you a ride. Yeah, it was, yeah, we met there. Oh, we okay. met at my friend Wendy's party, and um, it didn't really, we didn't really hit it off because I was trying to impress her with all these stupid stories of all the stupid things I did. Again, this is senior year of high school. I hid all the stuff that made me unique. Yeah, I shared stories about things that I thought would impress her, like the time I was racing someone else and got a speeding ticket, right? Or like. She's not um, the right she's not the right audience for that. No, or like how my buddies and I are going to the X games and like right. like these are not things that impressed her. Um there was a Shania Twain song that was really popular that year that doesn't that don't impress me much. Sure, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of it. Like that was our at the party that's what it was like. She did not have any of it and then she was leaving early and I like ran after her and I said, Hey, did you have like a good time? And she's like, yeah, it was fun. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> and, um, that's when we started to have like a more real conversation. Really? As she was about to leave, as she was about to leave, like by her car. I think we like talked there for like 45 minutes or something. And we talked about her plans for senior year of high school and how she has all these worries about, um, applying to college and all of that sort of stuff. And I said, that's where I was, I think it was probably began to be more honest. And I said, I haven't even thought about college. Like I don't even know where to apply to. Right. And she's like, you haven't, you need to start thinking about this yeah. stuff. And then we, I, I will show you my color coded filing system for <laughs> yeah, organizing yeah, right. college admissions. She probably add one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we, um, we kept meeting up and over time started to share more and more about ourselves and she was, you know, one of these people who I um, felt like I could be vulnerable with. And so we ended up, uh, it was six months into our relationship when um, I felt like I needed to tell her that I was a Trekkie. Now, <laughs> I hadn't told anyone outside my family 
And my Star Trek role playing game online. Of they, course, they yeah, do. those guys. They do. They do. They yeah. knew I was Commander Corn Dyson of the USS Starwind. But um, Nuan did not know, and no one else knew. So I tell her this in the morning at school uh, before the first period. I say, "Hey, Nuan, um, I need to talk to you after school. It's it's important. Um, can you just stay for a little bit?" And she's like, "Okay, um, okay." Yeah. Scared I, the hell out of the poor woman. I found out years later that like whole day she thought i i was dying yeah that like or you're secretly gay or, or something like, yeah like something that is either going to result in my death or us not being able to be together yeah. my parents yeah. said that we can't yeah whatever we're moving yeah. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, something yeah, 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 yeah. horrible yeah all day she was in she was fearful of that you tortured so this poor woman. i tortured her so much 3 p.m end of school um we're walking around the whole campus walking past lockers and my heart is racing. It's boom, 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 boom. I'm sweating. I am so scared of what she's going to think. I'm thinking she's going to break up with me. I'm thinking she's going to think I'm a loser. Like this whole time I was with you, that was a mistake. I had no idea you were a Trekkie. Um, and you're, you're still the little kid taking his glasses off I'm going so, into the convention. Yeah, totally, totally. Because <laughs> of all that years of avoiding it. Yeah. And imagining I know how people are going to react and people are going to think less of me. So eventually she's like, Oli, just tell me what is going on. And I say, okay, well, um, you know how like there's things like Star Trek or no, I'm sorry. I say, you know how there's things like Star Wars? Well, there's another thing like that called Star Trek. And she's like, yeah, I'm aware of Star Trek. Yeah, She's like, yes, I know. It's a TV show. So what? And I'm like, well, I really like it. And she goes, and? and I'm like, and that's it. Like, I really love Star Trek. And she's like, what the hell? This is what you have to tell me? She like pushes me. And she's so mad. She's like, I have been so worried all day about what you were going to say. And this is it? And I was like, well, like, uh, I mean, I just, it's a, it's, I really like it. Like, I'm really into it, Okay. Like, I went to a Star Trek convention once. And <laughs> <laughs> she, um, it, it didn't even, like, make a mark on her. It was so insignificant in sure. terms of, like, how because in the grand she scheme of things, it was a big It deal. is insignificant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not that it's insignificant in your world, but yes. It's not a big deal that you love this thing. Did that moment with her pop that bubble that you had had for eight years? Uh, um. I'm not going to say it burst it, but it was the very first time that Certainly less there was, yeah, there, someone popped a little hole in that balloon and some of the helium started to escape a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what's, what's so bizarre about this whole experience, Bill, is um, my best friend, uh, his name is Lowen. We met each other in fourth grade and uh, we became really close in high school. Sure. A week before we graduated high school. Um, 12th grade, May of senior year of, of high school, I'm at his place and we're in his room. We're talking about the summer and this and that and all that, all the stuff that we're going to do. And I look up in his closet and he's got this shelf above his closet and there's a Star Trek, the original series puzzle there. Now look at that. Now this is months after I've told New Ann yeah. about being a Trekkie. And which, by the way, I didn't use the word I'm a Trekkie. I right. said, you I know, there's like this Star thing Trek. like Star Wars. Like yeah. I, uh, there's another thing like that. And I like that. So 
I look up in his closet and I'm like, I see this puzzle and I say, Hey, Lowen, what's that up there? And he goes, uh, uh, that's just, um, that's this thing my parents have. Like that my parents are into that show. I go, Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I like, I like the movies. And he goes, Oh, like (laughs) which ones? And I go, Oh, you know, like the new ones. And he goes, Oh yeah, me too. And I go, he was expecting you to say two, three, four, <laughs> seven. Yeah, 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 right, right, right. Um, and we found out that we were both huge Trekkies. We had been, fr- we'd been best friends for years, Bill. And both, neither of you knew. Neither of us knew because neither of us uh, talked about it. Yeah. Neither of us. Yeah, I'm, 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 we're recording this as I'm wearing a Star Trek shirt. Right. Like, I did not do this back then. Right. Out of fear of being bullied. Sure. Neither did he. Right. We didn't, we didn't you, have you, anything that You could have been your own little gang. We could have been like, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, we could have been like Kirk and Spock. He would have definitely been Spock. <laughs> um, we could have been, uh, you know, I, I could have been a contender. Um, we then like what started, it, it, that, that moment started this like beautiful, um, companionship of Star Trek loving stuff yeah. that continues to this yeah. day. And you could, you could get that part of him that new and maybe could take or leave Star Trek at the time and you, still can. Yeah. And, but you depends but, on Chris Pine is in it or not. There's an interesting thing from a psychological point of view, the idea that not everyone in your life has to be everything in your life. Oh, totally. You know, totally. And that's, that's a lesson that people I think, need to learn at a certain age of yeah you know what you can have a friend that you do star trek with and then you can have your friend who you do whatever it is or you could have your spouse who yeah. maybe doesn't like baseball but you have your friend who's into baseball you totally do, you, you, you know. gotta find those people that um that understand what you love and why you love it and also the people that you can share that love with right. those are separate things yeah they could be two different things they can yeah. be two different things like it's really important to me that my wife understands why i love star trek but she doesn't have to go to the movies with you when they come out no right and doesn't mean i don't try right (laughs) especially with the new ones the quote kelvin timeline movies with jj abrams and what that started like she did enjoy that but she doesn't like stay up late like dreaming about it right 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 so and if she didn't loan would go with you if he's in town or my wife would go with you or i'd go with you or whatever right and and we stay up late like texting about it or talking about it exactly yeah so what those two moments, that conversation with Nguyen and then um, the conversation with Lowen, those are the first times outside of my brother that I had anyone to talk to about right. this. And um, that was also at a time where I was feeling like a loser in a different way. I, I got rejected from every college I applied to. I was okay. not a good student. Yeah. Because um, your grades? Well... I was dating a girl junior year of high school who dumped me a couple of weeks before finals. And I was like, screw it. I'm not studying for anything. Life sucks. It's horrible. So your grades in junior year were bad. And those are the ones that go to the colleges. Yeah. Like my GPA dropped from like a 3.3 to like a 2.5. Like I did really, I like failed all those finals. Um, My grades were horrible. uh, Second semester, junior year. And then I didn't care. Um, Cause I, I was 
really heart was broken. My heart was broken. Like yeah. you, the first time your heart is broken. It's pretty rough. It's you've never gone through that before. It's a hard thing to go yeah. through. So I also was like really aimless in life. Like besides Star Trek and a few subjects like photography was one. Sure. I loved high school photography. Um, and I liked some of my history classes and sometimes science. Beyond that, I was not a good student. So I uh, went to community college and um, I was a slacker. So I waited till the last minute to register for classes. And one of the classes that was still left open was introductory psychology. Knew nothing about it. This is now I'm finally answering your question from yeah. like minute five of this yeah. podcast. <laughs> Um, I didn't know about psychology in high school. I didn't know about it when I registered for this class, but I knew it satisfied general ed requirements. So I took it and I sat in the back of that class on the first day with my hoodie on and probably the hoodie up by the door because I was like, this is going to be stupid BS. You know, what the hell is psychology? And what Professor Wendell Gosling did. You still know Wendell Gosling? I don't. I don't know him. him I really want to see him. I've tried to find his email. He's like off the grid. He's like an old timey professor. Um, What professor Wendell Gosling did at De Anza college, like eight 30 in the morning on Monday is um, his first lecture was all about the biggest myths we have about psychology and about Mm -hmm. the brain and behavior. And then he like, destroyed those myths. All your cynicism that you walked in with is exactly what he brought up. Yeah, he was amazing at what he did. And I was like, this is interesting. So I kept going back, moved closer and closer ahead. And what really, what what was a moment where I knew things were shifting is I bought the textbook and I started reading it for fun. Like, I didn't do that. I'm not that guy. I never right. read anything. I got Cliff Notes, which don't even, I don't even know if they exist anymore, but you, I got. You read the Star Trek technical manual. That's what you I read. I read the Star Trek technical <laughs> manual. I did not read other texts. Yeah. Right. Um, it, it, there's a lesson right there, too, that the professor at the community college was this amazing professor. He changed my life. Yeah. He changed my life. Right. And what I. With the conversations I had with my brother as I was taking intro psych, I started to learn that all those questions that we debated as kids about what makes someone good and evil. Yeah, morality, sure. Morality, Twilight Zone, like all that, that stuff people that people had we actually watched. found answers to these things or at least have theories Psychologists, about it. yeah. They would do research on these questions. Right. I was like, this is this is it. Um, and then you could have also gone sociology or something too. Oh yeah, or anthropology. I loved my anthropology classes. Sure. Um, but Nguyen was the one who said, "Hey, you're you love these classes. You do well in them. They're easy for you. Why don't you major in psychology?" And I was like, "What the hell am I going to do with a psychology major?" Right. Right. She said, why don't you talk to someone and find out? I'm like, you can just talk to your professor about stuff. And she's like, yes, dum-dum, go talk to your teacher. Yeah. And so there's new and being new and that's new and being new and. And, um, then I decided to major in psychology, transferred to UCLA, um, decided to pursue a PhD in psychology. And how, uh, how hard was it to today. get into UCLA from doing the community? How long were you in the community college? A year or two, two years? years. Two years. years. So, so you had your first two years of college done and your grades were good, really good. So really UCLA good. said, sure, come on over. Yeah, well, it's California. So we have an amazing... Within the system is amazing. Within the system is amazing. We have an amazing community college system. 
they have agreements with both the CSUs, okay. which are like uh, San Jose State or right. San Francisco State. They award under um, bachelor's and master's degrees, but not doctorates. And but they're public schools. And then we have the UC system, which which awards bachelor's, master's, and doctorates. And they have uh, agreements. You, you, by the way, used to cost like. $13 and a cup of coffee to get a degree from those schools. I know. Back in the 70s and 60s, right? Well, I mean, it was unbelievably heavily, you know, uh, <sighs> subsidized by the state. I think I spent, for my first two years at D- at De Anza College, a community college, I think I spent less than $2,000 crazy? total on on those classes. Yeah. And at when I went to UCLA, um, I think total we spent like maybe 15000 Yeah. Now it costs twice that. Does it matter that that right. does anybody in your world look at your resume? Your resume says your bachelor degree is from UCLA. Yeah. No one knows or cares or whatever that you did the first two years of community I'm, college. I'm, I'm actually no one's ever asked me about it. I'm quite proud of it. Um, well, I'm, I think you're a success story of exactly what they're trying to do. And I I have everything. I have absolutely everything to thank. Like um, the list of people have made and institutions that have made a, a difference in my life go you know my parents my brother Nuan, um deanza <laughs> like and yeah. wendell gosling like yeah, yeah those are the people who like completely changed the trajectory of my life yeah. and um i'm very proud of it so i have it on my linkedin um but no one's ever asked me like oh you went to community college no that's a beauty of that california system is like there is that opportunity for upward mobility in education like you go to community college you do well you can get into any of the top california public schools now it costs a lot more now than when it when i went right and that's not even that long ago you're 15 years ago no it's not that long ago and the the uh so you stayed at ucla for your master's and your no 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 i got my undergrad there um, applied to PhDs. I wanted the opposite experience of UCLA for grad school. Okay. So UCLA, our department graduation, just our this, just the psychology department had 3,000 people graduating. We were right. the biggest major Huge. at a very big public yeah. How many of those actually people actually went into something that involved psychology well, the, going out? Um, psychology is interesting there where it's a science, but it's also a liberal art in the yeah. sense that people who graduate with a psychology degree do a lot of different things. Yeah. They don't necessarily. Conrad has a psychology degree from BU. So, yeah. you know, that's yeah, yeah. a good example. That's right? a really good example where, um, she's the norm where yeah. people get a degree in psychology and they go on to stuff that's totally outside of it. Yeah. Um, I think like about 90% of people who graduate with a psychology degree actually go on to different stuff. Um, and then about five to 10% go on into psychology. I think my graduating class from UCLA was probably about the same. So I wanted the opposite experience. So I went to a private, um, school in DC where there were six of us getting our PhD. So I went to Catholic university of America in DC Good Very Muslim kid sick. going to Catholic <laughs> right, University. Right, 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 Um, Where there was a cross in every classroom. Was it really? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, was that ever Was that ever a thing in the back of your mind? No. Like, what the it hell it wasn't like here? all my faculty were Jewish. 
So it was like <laughs> it's the it trifecta was, of the Western religions, right? Right. Right. Yeah. right. Um, no, it was. I, I decided to go there because it was a small program where everyone really knew each other, and sometimes you just want to go where everyone knows your name. And thanks, Norm. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, uh, and people were really supportive, nice. It seemed like a nurturing place, and it seemed like people got really good psychology training there. And did anything, yeah. any of that have to do with the fact that Nguyen at the time was in Providence? She was yeah, at Brown, she was right? In, she was at Brown in Rhode Island, and it was also about me getting closer to her. And it was also my buddy Lowen, he went to Georgetown, ah. and he was. He said, if you come to D.C., I'll stay in D.C. for a year. And we, he ended up staying for five years, and we ended up having, those are some of the best years of my life, was uh, living with him and becoming even closer friends sure. in D.C. together, yeah? Uh, okay, so you did that, so that was your PhD. For how many years were you there? It was supposed to be a five-year program. It took me seven. Yeah. But is that, that's not abnormal for- it's not abnormal. For- I mean, lots of times PhDs yeah. extend longer than than they are. Right. And I mean, I also ended up going through like one of the worst traumas of my life. Right. I was going to get to that. Yeah. 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 That was how, when you were in school. So I started my PhD in 2005. Um, and then in 2008 is when my brother died. Right. Um, he died by suicide. Right. Yeah. Which, man, as as somebody who is in school getting your PhD in psychology. Right. Having your brother die of suicide, depression-based? He, um, we had no idea growing up um, that he had bipolar depression. He you, got, you never saw it? You never saw it? Like his mood you know, swing crazy stuff? I mean, now looking back, because you have way more insight. Now looking back, I think of those late night conversations that we had as manic periods as probably manic periods where he was making these connections between science fiction and what it meant and like really expanding my consciousness and my awareness when he was like hyper alive, but he was probably like hypomanic or manic at that point. Um, and again, 10 year age difference. So when I was 10, he was 1920 that was when it was really starting to manifest. You asked me what did he major in or what yeah, did he study? That's why he's bouncing around. He like he studied five, six different things. Yeah. You know, he decided to enlist in the Navy. He um that period of his life was um uh, went in so many different directions. Yeah. And in retrospect, now I see that as signs of his illness. At the time we had no idea. Um sure. again, not only was it not a time when people were out and about about being geeky it was also not a time where we knew as much and people talked as much about mental health of course not um, what year was this again uh what year was what your father your brother's death 2008 2008 okay yeah. so yeah so and also i mean your life had been going in a very specific direction yeah you were at ucla for years yeah. you had the stuff going on with new and he was your in brothers off doing his other th- right it's not he, like you yeah. guys were sitting having these conversations every night anyway you had your own separate no, lives we, yeah we had our separate lives we would hang out um so he lived in san diego when i was at ucla um and so he and i would see each other about once a month i okay. would make the trip down to san diego and we would hang out um but when we'd hang out, it was pretty, we, we, we usually had our specific plan. I would take the train down. 
um, on Friday night. He would pick me up. We would watch the new episode of Battlestar Galactica. Huh. Um, we would get dinner, watch the new episode of Battlestar Galactica. Next day, like, um, go out and do a San Diego thing together. We would talk about it. We would catch up. We would uh, play so it's a some mini video version games of together. your childhood. Yeah, yeah. And then on Sunday, I would take the train back up. Um, so those are always joyful experiences. Right. I think he hid a lot of his pain from me. In, in those uh, later years, as you had more and more education in what yeah. it is that you do, was there ever conversations of, hey, are you all right? Like you're. Well, you the know. last two years of his life, um, is when his uh, the illness was really starting to spiral out of control. So we we definitely talked a lot about it in the last two years um, before he died, and um, that was it was a different again it was a different era. He was um, I think I, I don't I don't go too much into his story sure. because it's his story. It's his story, yeah. Um, but what what I will say is um, I, I think he grew up in a time where bipolar depression wasn't something people talked about. And sure. he never quite uh, – he always thought that it was not – he did not have an illness yeah. as much as he was just having a hard time coping with stuff that was going on. That's what you. Th- that's, that's what people what thought. He, he thought. thought. That's what he thought. Well, I think there's also a problem with bipolar depression in the sense that people see you and some of the time you're in a really good mood and you're doing great. So they figure, oh, that's just. They don't see that as just one yeah. edge of of a curve. You know what yeah. I mean? Of a, of a wave. They they figure, oh, if you're not sad all the time, you must not be depressed. He's in a good mood on Tuesday, so he must be fine. Yeah, um, on my YouTube channel, I just came out with an episode as we were recording about um, the top 10 myths about bipolar depression. And I had um, a really cool guy, Tristan Miller, on the show where he's he's a comic, a writer, um, an actor who also has bipolar depression. And he described it via Carrie Fisher's right. description, which is it's so often about being being – fast and being slow and um sometimes things move quickly and that can feel good and sometimes things can move quickly and it can be scary it's like a think of it also like a faucet where sometimes the faucet's wide open and thoughts are pouring out and sometimes it's very shut and things are only dripping out very slowly and for a lot of people who have bipolar depression um, one end of that spectrum might, um, might be more productive and more helpful and might feel more like the norm. And the problem is more when people are moving slower and it's more depression. And I think that's how it was for my brother that, um, hypomania wasn't necessarily a problem. Right. Um, in fact, some people see it as a superpower. Some people see. I have, I have a mild, yeah. you know, this is similar to how my depression manifests yeah. where I'll be fine for days. I'll be up all night working on a picture that right. I'm really excited about. But then two days later, I sleep for six hours just because I can't get out of bed. Totally. Yeah. Totally. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing where when you're on, it feels amazing. Yeah. And you don't want to give that up. No. And that's what a lot of people don't want to take the meds and stuff because it can flatten you out and they miss the goods. Right. They'll take the bad if they can still get the good or, right. you know, this kind of crazy. Yeah. And it's never sustainable though. <clears throat> yeah, that's of course. The problem. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. never sustainable. Yeah. And, um, 
he was very uh, rarely full manic. Yeah. That was only uh, towards the end of his life when that started to happen, when stressors were also really high up. Um, did this, does this make you want to, did this experience shift your view of psychology? It's, I, I guess back at the beginning when we were talking about the, the, the ticks and the hair pulling yeah. and, and that, was there ever a part where you said that I should go into depression? I should go into manic depressive stuff. I should go into suicide psychology, you know? Well, yeah, it, it did a few things on me. And this is a theme that keeps coming up here, which is um, I became fearful of what people would think of me. And I became- that they judge you because you're a brother? Yes. And I was deeply fearful that people would say, oh, he only went into psychology because he wanted to fix his brother, which- Ray Kurzweil wants his dad back. That's why he wants to create yeah. stuff in a machine. Totally, totally. And, and but what, what's but, which was well, never the case because I I well, went. What into would be it. wrong with that? Even if that was I, true, I, I, that's just the damn you, thing about my brain is it so quickly goes to people are going to judge you. Yeah. They're going to judge you poorly, yeah. and people are going to think you're strange. That's my social anxiety. That's like still there. Yeah, the remnants of it. Um, that was my fear. And what happened after he died was five years of silence where people who knew me from before and who knew I had a brother, we wouldn't talk about it. People who, and part of that is me. And part of that is, is the stigma around suicide. People don't know how to talk about it. Sure. Um, the other thing is anyone who was new and who didn't know me, I introduced myself as an only child. I avoided those conversations and that happened for five years uh, until it became unsustainable for me to stay silent. It was towards the end of that period when I first met you was 2011. That's that's around when we met. Right. Which, which I, I mean, in, you know, you know me for many years now, like we can have these kinds of conversations and you and I can have non-judgmental conversations about heavy subjects. Well, you know what? And I do that when, even when we're taking pictures. That- so that's how we met, right? Um, I I got a um, uh, I got elected to this board um, board of directors position, and they said we need a headshot of you. And I was like, "Oh crap! I don't have a headshot. I've sure. got these crappy photos that I've taken of myself." Um, and so I reached out to, or I asked my wife, "Do you know a photographer?" And she reached out to um, a friend of hers, Thomas Gilner, mm-hmm. who said, I think I know a guy <laughs> yeah. who's going to be a good uh, pairing for right. Ali. Um, as if you're like a, a pairing, like a like a yeah, wine yeah. and cheese yeah, pairing right. yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we're two flavors right. that would go And I knew well Thomas too. when I was still working in advertising. Mm-hmm. I was an art director and he was actually an intern because he was mm-hmm. still in school. From someone else who worked there. Anyway, long story short, yeah, I stayed in touch with Thomas. Thomas was one of my subjects, and now his now wife uh, were both subjects in my original 365 series Going in 2007. Going way back, yeah. Right, okay, yeah. so he says you should talk to me. Yeah, so I kind of email you. Uh, I look at your photos, and I was like, oh, I like this guy. I like his, I like his stuff. Um, and I email you, and I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to afford him. And uh, we're like, you you send a really nice response and you're like, okay, let's, let's do it. Um, and, um, we meet and we meet here yeah. in your studio yeah. right here in Brooklyn. And, um, 
I have no idea what to expect. I, I don't know how old you are. I don't know if you're a geek. I don't know any of those things. And I think it was like two hours that we yeah, ended we up. a long time. We talked for a long time. And you have this my way. Preferred, my preferred way of shooting, by the way. <laughs> right, go ahead. Sorry. I didn't know that. Um, I, I, I thought it was going to be like a half an hour affair i just sit down you take Sears my Portra picture studio <laughs> that, well that was my past experience that's in the idea in little did head. you know that i'm also a psychologist no yeah <laughs> right i mean we had what i don't think did you intend for that meeting to go on for so long no but uh, th- that is th- those times when i have shoots where conversation does sort of get into these things of all of a sudden we're talking at a level of friends who have been friends for years yeah. Yeah, that is my ideal scenario of of shooting someone. Well, and in that, there is certain there is a lot of intimacy in portrait photography. Oh, uh, yeah. Intimacy would be the right word because yeah. you were the f- one of the first people who I met after my brother died. And I told you we ended up talking about that. And I think I shared with you, actually, my brother yeah. died. Yep. And then you shared with me my dad died. Yep. And we talked about mourning and loss Mm -hmm. and all of the complex stuff that comes up with that. And you were like one of the first people who I just like shared that with like that. I was very much not open about that stuff at all at that point. And then, um, your then girlfriend and now wife came home too. And then you're like, Oh yeah, you should talk to Conrad. She's like into wonder woman and comics and all this stuff. And I'm like, you guys are so cool. You both are so cool. You, you need to meet, my girlfriend, and then um, we ended up meeting together at a museum, but I didn't show up for like two hours. So we spent a couple hours with New Anne. Yeah, you spent a few hours with New Anne. I got held up. I was working at Bellevue at the time, and I got held up in the ER yeah. because something wild happened. I don't even remember. Um, and we've been friends since. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, So beyond your practice, you're also, you yeah. made a conscious decision to be a public face of psychology Uh, is that that a bad way of putting it i mean that's an accurate way of putting it it's it's not um it putting it that way makes it seem more like a a linear intentional choice you don't think it was well it always felt like it was from the outside no um so uh, a few things to fill in the blanks here um selective mutism turned into social anxiety which turned into depression in middle school and in high school i accidentally took a public speaking class um i thought it was uh, yeah i thought it was going to be a class where we talk about and study famous public speeches like martin Uh, luther king jfk kind of stuff no, it was a class where you like... You have to stand up and talk in front of people. Face my deepest fears. What I learned later is my teacher, Miss Georgiana Hayes, she actually belongs on the list of people who have changed my life. Um, she was doing exposure therapy, basically. Yep. Um, and later in life, when I discovered psychology and discovered you could be a psychologist, I wanted to um, help other people overcome anxiety. So I got over a lot of my fear of social anxiety and social evaluation, although those head, those thoughts still stick out in my head every now and then. And so I became comfortable talking to other people. And, um, I also became more comfortable sharing my love of science fiction and psychology in college. I'm, I'm in college. I made a, when I transferred to UCLA, I made a conscious decision to be more 
out as a Trekkie Mm -hmm. and in doing so met so many other people who are Trekkies. And one person who I met who also maybe belongs on that list. Yeah, she definitely belongs on on that list. Um, She's now a colleague of mine, Andrea Ledimenti. But back then we were both just psychology people. Um, We were both at a OCD clinic. We were volunteers there. And I was this California kid who showed up to volunteer at this medical clinic wearing flip-flops, jeans, and a Ninja Turtles (laughs) t-shirt. And she saw me and was like, I need to become friends with this guy. And um, she was into Ninja Turtles and Batman and Star Wars and loved to play video games. She's more of a star. Yeah, she's a Star Wars, not a Star Star Trek. Yeah, she's more Star Wars. There's the battle between you and your friend. Yes. Yeah. Um, Her now husband is a is much more Star Trek versus Star Wars. Oh, so they have it within their relationship. They have it in their relationship, and he has introduced her to a lot more Star Wars stuff, and she's or Star, Star Trek, Trek stuff, forever, and she's yeah. introduced him to more Star Wars stuff. But um, we became friends, and um, she went on to grad school, and she became a psychologist as well. And um, I saw her around the time when we first met. I saw her at New York Comic Con, mm-hmm. which was my first time at New York Comic Con. <laughs> It was my first time at a Comic-Con period. Right. And she was actually doing a panel with a writer of Batman, Iron Man, and a retired New York City firefighter or police officer. Okay. And they were talking about heroism. And this panel, like seismic shift in my right. head. Right. As much yeah, we can t- yeah, all this stuff I'm nerdy about. All of all of all of the Star Trek stuff, and then all the psychology. I know yeah. these two things can go. You're, you know, your chocolate's in my peanut butter. Your peanut butter's in my chocolate. Totally. My friend Andrea was bringing it together. Yeah, and we had lunch afterwards, and I'm like, how How did you do that? Yeah. How is this possible? And how are people taking you seriously? And aren't other because like, psycho- I have letters after my name, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and I was also like. And like, don't other psychologists judge you for this? Don't they think you're weird or strange? And so, again, that fear, people are going to judge me and think I'm I'm different or strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, She and I- uh, And I'm sure there are a handful of people who do. Yeah, totally. Or would. Yeah. But you just kind of- And screw them. Well, that's the thing. People are going to judge, a minority of people are going to judge you for no matter what move you make. Totally. So you might as well make the move you want to make and to hell with where they come down on. Yeah, well, and that was- a lot within of reason, our, you know? <laughs> yeah, within reason. Uh, that was a lot of our conversations were were about um, trying to help each other uh, really own these things that we love and bring them together. Because the more she did that, she started to realize there's other people out there who also love these things, and there's generations of kids who um, could go down a different path in their life knowing that it's cool to love this stuff. There's like professional people who love it. And Hey, look, here's some like real world, real world lessons and takeaways from the comics and the movies and all that stuff that you love. So she encouraged me to share my story about how Star Trek made me love and fall in love with psychology. And now I've, um, becoming a psychologist as a result. So I started, uh, a website, brain knows better.com with that story. 
And it was less about me becoming a public face of this stuff and more about me wanting to share my story. Mm -hmm. And so many people were so encouraging about it and so supportive that I kept writing. And then I realized I was a really crappy writer. Um, My friend Lowen, he's like, hey, man, I love your first story, but everything you've written since like just reeks of academia. It's like three times too long. You're burying the lead. It's not very um, easy for me. Which to, is an interesting indictment of academia in general, but yeah. that's a whole other conversation. That's a whole other conversation. I mean, that's <clears throat> academia taught me how to think very well. Right. It didn't teach me how to write well. Or to communicate. Or to communicate. It did teach me how to communicate with other people who think just like me right. and who have my knowledge base, yeah. but that's not most people. Right. You know, you're, you, can, you can sit down with another photographer and get into like the newest digital camera sure, technology sure. Yeah. and f-stops and lenses yeah, yeah, yeah. and lighting techniques, but you would never do that with a person who doesn't know anything about photography, sure. right? But that's how academics just like think. We, yeah. we think in terms of jargon and communicate in terms of jargon. So I learned how to write better. I started to find my voice. Andrea and I did a panel together at WonderCon, uh, which is a, a nice smaller Comic Con in Anaheim, California. That did really well. And then that panel continued at San Diego Comic Con. Um, and I kept sharing more and more and more. And the more I started to share, the more I realized how much I love it and also how much I can't continue hiding this thing about my brother, um, about losing my brother. Because the more I shared my voice, the more I ended up becoming, um, in uh, the more it became public facing sure. at panels yeah. or on the podcast that Conrad and sure. I started. Um, rest in peace, super fantastic nerd hour. Uh, we did an awesome 70, 73 episodes, I think we did together. Um, all that stuff took me more and more into the public realm right and the more i did that the more impossible it became to like hide this stuff well, and then if it if it's just sitting there and and you're reacting to it but people don't know what you're reacting to yeah it's sort of festering in there right i mean it's oh yeah it's i mean it's an unhealthy thing to do from a purely psychological point of view if you yeah. were your own therapist in that moment yeah you would say what are you doing yeah well my therapist also um told me like when you're ready to share this with the world, you will, yep. but not until you're ready. Right. And there's actually research on this. People who experience complicated grief, it takes them about five years. Yeah. Uh, that's what the research has shown and, until they're like really able to talk about it. And um, a few years ago, I, I was working with um, some mentors from The Moth, uh, sure. The Moth Storytelling. And uh, the person I was working with told me, we tell stories of our scars, not our wounds. And uh, I, that advice has always stuck with me. When you're ready to talk and share about something, when you can share it without it completely hijacking your emotions, that's the time to share it. Right. And it was about five years after my to, death. It has to be completely digested. It has to be digested. Interesting Freudian slip you just made. I know, I know. I noticed that too. <laughs> about five years after my brother's death, is when, um, and when I was in the middle of this whole Comic-Con podcasting yeah. blogging world, 
that I did share the story of losing my brother. I think I actually saw you and Conrad the day before I published it. And we were having dinner or something. And uh, the story was called um, The Parallel Universe, where my brother lives. And it's a story about how I go to sleep at night and see my brother. And it's it's as if he never died. It's this parallel universe where that death never occurred. And everything's been great. And we keep doing all those things that we do. But I wake up and I'm torn away from that parallel universe and reminded again that he has died. And um, that I rid my life of every every reminder of my brother. And he only existed in this parallel universe. I wrote that story and then emailed it to like 50 people. And I said, by the way, here's how I've been feeling for the last five years. And the response was overwhelming. Um, again, in the quite, quite the literal way, it was overwhelming. People were like, me too. I've experienced sure. this. I've also lost someone to suicide or my mom has bipolar depression yeah. or, um, hey, I lost a brother too. The psychologist down the hallway from me Lost his brother 30 years ago to suicide. Yeah. Had almost identical experience. Almost identical experience. Because you guys weren't open about it, you didn't have this thing that you could sit down and talk about and maybe help each other with. And he, what he told me is, he's like, you've taken a first step that is going to, a first step, a, a big step towards healing. And I think you will be surprised at how much sharing your story is going to help others and how how often others are going to have the same story as you. And that was like, again, so healing. Um, all that shame I had, it gets, it's just like talking to new Anne about being a Trekkie, um, finding out that low in love Star Trek as well. When Andrea came up to me because I had my Ninja Turtles t-shirt and the friendship that, that developed after that. Um, so many times I have built up this idea that I am so different. And then when I share those differences with other people so often, they're like, oh yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. And that like, that continues to blow me away when that happens. Or, or, okay. Or, okay. Which I'm is like, really? Okay. Which is so common. I mean, you hear these stories about, oh, I, you know, I came out as gay to my parents or whatever it is. And my parents were like, okay, yeah, we yeah. kind of knew or, or whatever you, yeah. That, it's the fear itself, right? You're scared yeah. of, you're scared of fear. Yeah, there's. I, I had a weird phobia about uh, dentists for a long time, mm-hmm. and then I found a dentist that's good. <laughs> and right. now, and now I can go to her, and I am not scared of going to the dentist anymore. What exactly was I scared of that I would have hot flashes and panic attack on the way to them? Yeah, you know, we, uh, we, so we we build these things up in our heads. We build these things up in our heads, and it's easy to build those things up when we don't have experiences that are based in reality. So I. I uh, again, getting back to one of your first questions, um, I treat anxiety. That's my my passion. And so, so often when I'm treating anxiety, people have not had experiences with the thing that they are fearful of, yep. or they've had experiences of. I've gone never met poorly. a troll, but I'm terrified of trolls. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, spider phobia is a really sure. good example. It's very common. A lot of people have it. And most people who have this fear, you ask them, what do you think is going to happen if a spider comes near you? The number one thing people often say is that it's going to come towards me and it's going to attack me. I'm going to die because this spider is so scary. Horrible feared consequence, right? Now, I don't know if you have a fear fear of spiders. I don't like spiders, but I like spiders more than cockroaches. What do they do? When you see a spider, (laughs) what do they do? They usually go away from you and crawl. Boom. 
right? Yeah. So you have learned that because you've had a lot of experiences with lots of different spiders. Yeah. Maybe you've had one experience where yeah. a spider did come towards you, but it's not the norm. Yeah. And so, so it's either exposure therapy in your real life or exposure therapy in a session. It's, but either way, it's exposure that is the cure to that. It's what exposure does is it helps people learn how to cope with anxiety, that anxiety is normal. It rises and falls like a wave in the ocean. Um, You can live with it. You can cope with it. It also, with repeated exposure, the intensity of anxiety goes down. Um, Just like when you jump in a pool, you Mm -hmm. get used to the water being cold. It's not like the water warms up. You just get used to it. It's not fun the first time, but. Yeah, yeah. It gets easier after that. And the other thing that exposure does is it gets your real world experience. Mm -hmm. You interact with spiders and you learn how to interact with them and that most of them are actually far more scared of you than you are of them. And Except for the ones that do attack you. Right. (laughs) Right. Sorry. Um, (laughs) And. Sometimes bad things happen. Like I've done, I've done exposure sessions when like it went badly. Yeah, and then you learn that you can cope with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, there are situations where something terrible happens. Yeah. Parents die in a car crash or whatever, so you're terrified of getting in a car. Yeah, yeah. They yeah, do yeah. have evidence that says that people can die in cars. Totally, and it's hard to overcome. You know, I, I have my father died of cancer. Yeah. He had cancer four times over 20 years and eventually killed him. Yeah. Do I have fear that I am going to be diagnosed with cancer at some point and I'm going to have a slow, horrible death? Yeah, because I've experienced of that actually happening. Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, so it's those things that are almost harder to overcome than the people who are irrationally. And I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, yeah. but, you know, literally irrationally fearful of something that they've never even experienced in the first right, place. Right. Right. It's, um, I mean, you've had personal experience with that. Um, so it makes sense that this is going to be a fear that you have. And so much of my work is about helping people to embrace the, um, everyday risk of life. Let's sure. call it that whether it's driving or whether that's living with potentially right. a time bomb yep. in your genes. Yes. You might uh, die of cancer. Yes. You might yeah. die in a car crash. Yeah. That's true of everybody. But it can't stop you from going to work it, today. Yeah, it's uh, instead of a but, it's an and. Like, this is true, and you have to live your life. Yeah, that's you know? interesting. What one of my supervisors once said is when it comes to but, the, the only thing that comes out of a but is shit. Um, <laughs> so, like, make it an uh, and. Yeah, make it, a, make it an and. And, uh, you know, like, sometimes people get annoyed because you can be annoying like, well, and this, but it's, it's true. Like you, you might have a time bomb and so might I, like I, I have major heart disease on my dad's side of the family. Like all all of my male relatives on my dad's side have had major heart attacks. Um, and on my mom's side, everyone on my mom's side has diabetes. Like I am at major cardiovascular, risk for something are you going for Uh, jogs and not eating a lot of red meat and keeping your weight down uh kind of i don't i hate (laughs) jogging i don't i don't go for jogs i keep my mind active bill um but like i can't let that fear get in the way of the things that i love and the values that i have right and acting on those values yeah by doing the the website and doing psych show on YouTube and doing all of uh, did that is that what led to some of your media media appearances? Yeah, Where did so, that come from? So the brain knows better became the podcast, and then um, the podcast kind of became 
unsustainable. So Conrad and I both ended that um, a few years ago, although I miss it. All the, there's all these times where I see a movie and I'm like, oh, well, you guys should just sit down and do the occasional episode. We of should some do big occasional. Thing yeah, no. Every th- three months you go see a thing or you watch some show and you both watch it. You should sit down for an hour and we, record the show. We the should sit in there. We should probably. Anyway, that. that's a conversation that would, that would for actually be fun. She um, mentioned, actually, she's like, I miss Ellie and doing stuff. With yeah, her. I do, so, too. You know, I, I um, uh, the podcast ended prior to star wars of force awakens being released yeah. you know it's it's like plenty such of stuff a to talk about era. you know and that's that's one of the things like i'm in a way different place now with my relationship with my yeah. brother and my memories of my brother um and one of the things that i um i think he would be so happy to see this world now yeah. where star trek is cool it's alive it's it's thriving comic cons are not only a thing but his little brother has spoken at san diego comic con um and like i've shared the stage with julie nimoy and you have shows like community that celebrate and that his niece is going to grow up because you're a fairly recent father last year yeah that that your niece is good his niece is going to grow up in in an era where all of that is true yeah she's never going to experience the i have to keep it inside no, no she has a plush star trek enterprise toy and i want to help i want to give to her what my brother gave to me which sure. is finding her passion and encouraging it but what um after the podcast ended i um i wanted to well i think i actually started um my youtube channel the psych show a few months about the before, same time around yeah. the same time yeah and what i kept wanting to do is figure out how do I get the word out about psychology to more and more people? And I did know that podcasts were more accessible than blogging because you can listen to a conversation. Sure, There's less barriers there. You can build up a community. And I was thinking, okay, like um, how do I go even younger? Because my, what are the kids doing these days? What are those kids into? Because my mission so much has been trying to reach back in time to 15-year-old me. Right. That depressed, socially anxious kid who thought that's, it was that's so who you're weird. That's who you're speaking to? That's who Into I want the to camera. speak to. Yeah. That's who I want to speak it's, to. It's you with in the mirror. With my blog, I with ru- the podcast. Sure. Now with YouTube. Like, that is who I'm trying to reach. It's you in the mirror as a little kid. Yeah. Right? I'm trying to look back in that mirror and say, hey, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. The stuff that you love, it's okay. And by the way, Here's some stuff that might make you feel a little bit better. Yeah. Like that's, that's. And I'm going to give you a little bit to explain why all of that is true. Totally. That maybe will interest you in this whole other subject. That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And so I decided to start a YouTube channel because that's what the kids were into. That's what the data showed is um, a lot of young people were getting, young people meaning like teenagers were getting their content from YouTube and our podcast skewed more 30s and 40s. Sure. And I wanted to get teens and 20s. Yep. And I've been like half successful with that. So my audience is primarily 18 to 25-year-olds, which is kind of getting at that. Um, less so below 18. Yeah. 
and more so 18 to 25 and the next big chunk is like 25 to 35 sure but that's still i'm still cool with that yeah yeah well i mean you're getting older so there is always a thing of like oh the guy this old guy is talking about whatever it is he's got a beard and a kid and whatever you know yeah like i do these weird things now that it's weird for me to think of like i i've spoken at high schools i've done school assemblies yeah um and (laughs) you're that weirdo (laughs) who gets up on stage it's a bizarre you, experience in that, in that particular case do you yeah. have super flashback to your uh, public oh speaking class um i have super flashbacks to being in their shoes like i i spoke at um dalton high school um in january and they wanted me i spoke for a health assembly and it was talking about like mental health and things like that but the story that i gave like it, i did it as a story like yeah. a half an hour story and the story was a lot of what I shared with you, like yeah. growing up a geek and not thinking, thinking I'm so weird and uh, like meeting new in and all this stuff. And what happened afterwards is like we had a and a and we had a talk back session where the sci-fi the club like, hosted What's me. What's Star Trek? No, it was the opposite. <laughs> oh, really? They were just- it was all the geeks yeah. felt so empowered to ask questions and like, own that assembly well one of the um what one of the students told me afterwards is they're like today ali or i think he actually said dr matu today dr (laughs) matu the geeks own the school (laughs) and i felt so happy yeah and i told him i was like I never imagined yeah. something like this would ever happen. One that I would be here doing this thing because yeah. of my fear of, yeah. of social stuff. And number two, that there would ever be an assembly that's celebrating all this stuff. The biggest Q&A thing that we had was debating the uh, this, uh, Marvel Civil War Accords, like sure. Team Cap or Team um, Iron Man, the Slo- Slovakia, the yeah. whatever accords those are yeah, called yeah. about superhero registration. Like we started debating that. I like, I have I have opinions on that too. Right. Like, do. We'll, we'll do a long yeah. super fantastic nerd <laughs> right. hour where you and me and Conrad sit down and we Sokovia can, Accords. We get so Sokovia Accords. Thank you, Bill. There you go. Um, I'm sure a bunch of listeners are like shouting, yeah. uh, shouting that um, right now. So um, a lot of those opportunities have come from YouTube. So people people find you. They they're searching around. Oh, who talks about this stuff? They see your video and they say, Oh, this guy can talk. Why don't we yeah, send him the, an email? The, what happens when you see a video is you tend to get a better sense of the person's personality. Sure. And, um, you also, and if they're camera ready and if the camera, yeah. So that's, sorry. I mean, it's, it's superficial, but it's true. Right. Right. And uh, like one of my favorite things to do on YouTube is find your favorite YouTube channel, click on the videos tab. And in the top right, you can sort by date and you can do earliest first. Go, go see the earliest thing they did. Go see the earliest thing they did and how much it sucks, which is true for me. (laughs) My first few videos were like stiff. I'm yeah. trying to look more professional than yeah. I do later. Your audio wasn't as good. Uh, audio sucked. Yeah. The lighting is also horrible. Like, um, and you go like go watch Vsauce's early work. Uh, Vsauce big channel. They talk about a lot of psychology stuff. Their early work, you're like, what the hell? They're talking about like video games and like it's not the channel they are now. Sure. So you see the evolution of someone. And when I started making YouTube videos, I was terrified of looking in to the dark abyss of a camera lens. 
And um, uh, you don't have any human feedback. Like right now we're sitting across the table from each other and I see you. It, it humanizes the whole thing, right? right? Which, which is the reason why, by the way, I'm doing across the table, all of these pals, because I think there is something different to this. I've done 400 episodes of stuff over Skype. I've not, I'm not immune to doing remote things, but I think that it's a different conversation across the table. And if you talk to two people who are really experienced over Skype, you can, you can do it. Fake it. You can fake it. But, um, when you are talking to someone, you act differently than when you're talking to a blank lens. Sure. And it's there. This is a reason why a lot of people who do documentaries or do interviews, they have someone else there and they have you talk to that person and not the camera. Yeah. Lens, next to the camera right? or Errol Morris has the thing where he, you're actually talking to him yeah. looking into the camera. He's right. got like a, like a, like a double sort of, uh, uh, teleprompter the, the setup. Yeah. yeah, totally. Totally. Um, <clears throat> But I don't have that. I'm just one guy who's doing this myself. Right. So I had a breakdown the first time I set everything up. You'll appreciate this. Like I, I bought these lights. I, I was asking you for feedback. I'm like, hey, I want to start this YouTube channel. Yeah, what yeah. lights do you recommend? Stuff yeah. like that. What camera? You gave me a lot of feedback. So I bought these lights. I had a three light setup. Took me hours to figure out how to set them up. I set up my camera. Everything was ready. But then like I had the camera up the whole time on while I set up the lights, when I sat down to finally film, the battery died. <laughs> and I started crying. I'm like, what am I doing? I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, and it but took that's like, standard first time doing stuff. Yeah, and the thing is, though, you don't know that. Well, yeah, but I... But you, sorry, I'm yeah. going to put you on the spot a little bit. Please do. You're a PhD psychologist. Yes. You should know that. Well, that's what I'm thinking in my head. Like I'm, I'm a quote unquote professional. I should know what I'm doing, but I don't. Or, or, and, or at least realize that this is stumbling blocks of doing something for the first yeah, time. That's something that I help people I work with understand that whenever you're learning a new skill, you are going to quote unquote fail yeah. and learn from that. Yep. Like, Trust me, I never made that same mistake again. Sure. Um, I made different ones. Yeah. And then I learned from them, like not setting the focus on my camera and then recording a whole video about what makes people attractive and then having to re-record it. Yeah, yeah, right. So <laughs> oh, the irony. Um, and the other thing I've learned now is how much you have to really amplify your personality when there's no one else there because you're coming across so much more blunted because there's no person there. Sure. So what you see on YouTube is me having to punch up my personality to make it seem like what it does when I'm with another person. Yeah. So those are all skills that I've learned over time to quote, get camera ready. And so when someone sees a YouTube video and they're able to watch a bunch of my videos and get a sense of who I am and my voice that has led to more media opportunities. Sure. Yes. Yeah. And you're you're in a um field where you know, I could be an expert on photography or whatever it yeah. is. CBS Sunday Morning is not going to necessarily have me <laughs> on to talk about photography all that often because it's not the kind of thing where people have people on to talk about. Psychology is constantly in there, especially when there are uh suicides of famous people. Right. And I mean there you know, you're you're a talking head, quote unquote, yeah. for, for, for those topics that you're an, an expert on. Right. Uh, B- both from personal well, experience and education. Well, what, what I'm very fortunate with in terms of these kind of opportunities is we now are in an era where it's not only cool to talk about geeky stuff, the whole conversation about mental health has changed. Yeah. Just from 
when I was in grad school about 10 years ago to now, it's completely changed. Yeah. Um, like this is actually where we've passed the 10 year mark of when my brother died. I am actually now older than he ever Ever was, was. which is bizarre to think about. Yep. But I, I, I do think about that in terms of this video I just released with this awesome guy who is completely open about his experience having bipolar depression. Yep. 10 years ago, that was uncommon. Yeah. 20 years ago, that was unheard of. So because of that, there are more opportunities to talk about mental health. And the other thing is, yeah, you're right. I'm in a field of psychology that is applicable to like everything. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've had some pretty cool, bizarre opportunities like talking on CBS versus uh, being on MTV's Teen Mom. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and uh, there's a very cool thing that's going to be coming out in January that I can't talk about okay. right now. But it's um, a very cool thing that I'm really proud of that people will be able to see um, that gives you more of a sneak peek into my life as a psychologist and what I do. Okay. So I'm very excited for people to be able to see that. But those opportunities have really come from people stumbling upon my videos yeah. um, one way or another. I, I have one last question for you. Um, the answer is 42. <laughs> when you're actually is it 40, 42 or is it 43? 40, 42. Yeah. Um, you just said that... You, the, the way that psychology and social mental illness is perceived in society, the way we talk about it has changed so drastically in 10 years. Yeah. Some could argue that with, even within your profession, the way it's dealt with by professionals changes over 10 years or 20 years or 30 years that a psychologist who went to school 40 years ago might be looking at, they're coming after me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That a psychologist mm-hmm. who went to school in the sixties will oh, look yeah. at mental illness very differently than you do. Yeah maybe even differently than a kid who's in school now, because that's changing. How does one who's a professional in a particular area not get stuck in the time that they went to school? I talked to a a cardiologist recently and he said, you know, there's, there's a thing in medicine that says what you really want is a doctor who's three or four years out of school. Yeah. That's exactly what I want. uh, Because they, 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 they're they They have enough experience that they're not going to make stupid decisions but they're close enough to the cutting edge that they know what the current thinking is or the current treatment is. That's the research. The research right there has shown that um, healthcare professionals who are uh, a few years out of their training yeah. are um, provide the best treatments right. uh, because they have the newest information and they've um, they have the competence and have gone through the training where they're, they can practice independently, but they're not stuck in their old ways. Yeah. Um, it's a major problem in healthcare. Um, the other area where you are likely to have more cutting edge folks are in teaching institutions with people who are doing the research. Um, but again, like, who has access to those people? Yeah. Like if you live in a major city near a major research institution, maybe you if you're do. in a small town and there's only one therapist in town, you don't. Right. Um, so how does one stay sharp? I mean, there's must be continuing education stuff, but you must they're, not they're, in New York state for psychology. We are the, uh, I believe we're the only state that does not require a continuing education for psychologists. That's surprising. It's horrible. I mean, psychology is almost changing more than any other. Yeah. Yeah. Medicine. So, um, 
you know, I think this is true of a lot of fields where about every 10 years, like we, our understanding of the, the science uh, completely changes. Yeah. And psychology is such a young science. Yeah. I mean, um, Wilhelm Wundt, the father of experimental psychology, I mean, that's like the late 1800s we're talking about, right, his right, right. first experimental yeah, 120 lab. years old is is all of psychology. Yeah, you look at physics. Yeah, yeah. Hundreds and hundreds of years. Right. Um, biology goes way back to yeah. chemistry, all that stuff. I, I, my sister, who's in the museum world, we were talking about the Museum of Natural History at one yeah. point, and there's, the, there's these dioramas where it's like stuffed animals in a diorama, yeah. whatever it is. And she'll say, you know, they would never do this nowadays. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But and I say, well, then why is this here? She goes, well, in within the mu- museum world, in some ways, this room, say, is famous because in some ways it's a museum of how we saw museums when this museum was built. Oh, and, that's interesting. Right. Yeah. And so we keep it here almost as like this living embodiment of how uh, uh, the, the the natural world was seen in 1920 or 30 yeah. or whenever this was built. Right. Yeah. In some ways, per- medical professionals like you if you're not careful, could become uh, uh, an example, an exhibit of what psychology meant in 2008 or 2010. Totally. So um, some of the biggest growth areas in the world of mental health are in much more integrative models. So what does that mean? That sounds like jargon. It is. What that means (laughs) is um, you go to see your physician. Yeah. Um, physician asks you, Bill, how you been doing? And you're like, I'm good. I'm okay. And then he says, yeah, your, your blood tests look good, but, um, how are you sleeping? And then you say, not well. And then he says, what's, what's getting in the way? And you're like, uh, you know, just like stress at night. And then the physician goes, okay, here, I want you to actually talk to my friend Ali. He's right next door. And so I'm a psychologist and now I do like a five, 10 minute, brief assessment and brief intervention with you where I'm like, okay, you're having a hard time sleeping. It sounds like what's actually getting in the way is um, you're, you're not dealing with insomnia. Well, what I want you to do, Bill, is if it's been longer than it normally is for you to fall asleep, I want you to get out of bed and do something boring or soothing that does not involve a TV. Try that for a week. And I actually want to see you again. We'll meet for about 15 minutes and I want to check in. And then you come back. And then if sleep has gotten better, I'm like, awesome, take care. If sleep hasn't gotten better, we we might meet for longer. Right. Or maybe I give you a referral to a psychiatrist who right. can now get you set Medicate up you or with, with a medication right. because maybe you're experiencing like really intense anxiety right. and something's going on. We need, we need to do something about that. Or maybe we've just diagnosed you as having bipolar depression. Right. Like who knows? Or, but I could also see a kid 20 years down the line saying, oh my God, you guys thought that this integrated stuff was the way to go? Sure. Oh God, that's not the way we do it nowadays. Yeah. It's similar to Bones in Star Trek 4. Right. Dialysis. Dialysis. Damn medieval. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So in in other words, what I'm trying to say is the whole idea of going to sit and meet with a therapist for 50 minutes is becoming more of an ancient model. Okay. And um, more integrative. Quick hits. Quick hits that are able to meet more of the unmet need of society. Like 50% of all mental health cases present at primary care with your physician. And most of those cases are unmet needs. Like people aren't getting the mental help help, mental health help they need. So we're trying to solve that problem while also providing cost effective 
solutions. Sure. The problem with that bill is our environments, our hospitals, our clinics, are all our payment structures thing. are all designed for the old thing. Yeah. So it's really hard to do that. It could also break through an intimidation factor of somebody who's, I'm not sleeping, but I don't know if I want to talk to a guy for a whole hour. Oh, but I'll totally. talk to this woman for five minutes. Yeah. yeah and they're kind of, oh, yeah, okay, well, this wasn't as scary as I thought it would yeah. be or, or what have you. Well, yeah, this is this happens all the time when you go see a doctor and they're like, hey, I want you to follow up with this other person. Here's her name and number. Calling that person, finding out where they are, yeah, will they take your insurance? That's like a huge, all this, huge burden. A huge burden, as yeah. opposed to, here's this person next door. Let me go grab them. Hey, nice to meet you. Yep. What's going on? Yep. You know, that's how at least the thinking is right now. Yeah. So, I mean, folks that are getting trained in these, I didn't get trained in this model, right. but folks who are getting trained in this model um, have much more modern training than I do. Right. Um, so, and that was like, you know, I got You're an my timer degree. already. I know. I know. <laughs> I realize that when I give examples, when I teach and no one laughs anymore Aww. when I say, and now you know, and knowing's half the battle and people are like, what, what are you talking about? And I'm like, GI Joe, anyone? And then they're like, no. And I'm like, well. <laughs> In case you're wondering, the other half of the battle is They're lasers. like, that's militaristic and misogynistic, and <laughs> we don't watch was. shows like that. <laughs> it probably was. Um, <laughs> it's not something to revisit. But yeah, that's a challenge. That's yeah. a hard thing to... And that gets back to... I mean, this happens in pop culture, too. Like, we didn't talk about Star Trek Discovery, the brand new Star Trek TV show, yes. but I've got a lot of feelings about I it. I watched the first two episodes, and mm-hmm. I had problems with them, and I stopped. Yeah, and it, so people are like, this isn't my Star Trek. Yep. People have been saying that. When Star Trek Next Generation came on and they're like, who's this bald guy in the captain's chair? That's not my captain. Yeah, yeah, sure. So it's it happens with pop culture. It happens with science. It happens with all this stuff. It's it's the the battle for relevancy. And and uh, it's uh, it's it's a challenge. But I'm, I'm trying to stay stay relevant. stay on the cutting edge. Yeah. Uh, so where do people find you? People can find me on the interwebs. Yes. Um, I'm on Twitter at Alimatu, A-L-I-M-A-T-T-U. You can also f- um, find me on YouTube. Um, the Psych Show is where you find me. YouTube.com slash The Psych Show will get you to all my stuff. That's don't probably, worry, they're not three-hour videos, people. They're, they're like five minutes, yeah. ten minutes they're at quick most. Hits. They're quick hits. I've got s- my shortest video, I think, is like one minute long. Yeah. Um, yeah, my, my shortest video is about suicide prevention and it's one minute. I wanted to make something that would have the most good in the least amount of time. Smart. So there it is. Uh, thank you for taking the time. This hey, fun. you're my pal. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Pals with Bill Wadman. Yeah. It's a good time. Uh, all right. We'll talk to you soon. If anybody wants to get a hold of me, Bill at BillWadman.com. I am at Bill Wadman on Twitter. Um, and, uh, we'll see you next week with someone. See ya.